time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It's Friday, July 10th, 2020. (laughs) Time is flying by. Hope everyone is doing well, and a big thank you to all the guests we have this week. Uh, You know, guys, I really want to tell you, you know, these people who uh, don't like the L.A. Rams, you know, they drive me nuts. We'll say... uh, You know, you live in L.A. and you like the Cowboys or the 49ers or the Steelers. You know, they drive me nuts. Um, You know, the Rams have won a Super Bowl. And, yeah, granted, the teams I just mentioned have won five and six. But that's only a few more. I mean, come on. The Rams, they're great. They're just great. How can you not like them, especially if you're from L.A.? But, you know, feel free to disagree. Um, It is what it is. Um, I'm just looking forward to uh, another great show here today or even, uh, you know, hey, like I said, you may disagree, and that's fine. And and, uh, our next guest today is uh, someone who is a world traveler and uh, a real Hondo Prep grad. He's a great friend. And uh, our paths crossed uh, many, many years ago. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, guys, um, I really appreciate you out there. And, uh, you know, uh, just want to warn you that we may have some technical difficulties, uh, but uh, we're working on that. And uh, anyway, sit back and, and enjoy the show. We'll start after a quick short break. Well, guys, as you can already tell, today is a very different show. It's going to continue to be very different, but I did want to mention our Friday Suds with Studs segment that we've been doing the past couple of Fridays. We'll get right to it today. Our uh, person we want to mention today is Michael Patrick Murphy. Uh, Murphy was a United States Navy SEAL officer who was awarded the United States military's highest recognition, the Medal of Honor, for his actions in the war in Afghanistan. He was the first member of the United States Navy to receive the award since the Vietnam War. His other posthumous awards include the Silver Star Medal, which was later upgraded to the Medal of Honor, and the Purple Heart. Michael Murphy was born and raised in Suffolk County, New York. He graduated from Penn State University with honors and dual degrees in political science and psychology. After college, he accepted a commission in the United States Navy and became a United States Navy SEAL in July 2002. After participating in several war on terrorism missions, he was killed on June 28, 2005, after his team was compromised and surrounded by Taliban forces near Asadabadad, 
uh, Afghanistan, Asadabad, excuse me, Afghanistan, the U.S. Navy ship USS Michael Murphy and several civilian and military buildings have been named in his honor. Well, for those that don't know, uh, Michael Murphy's story was a part of the book that was called Lone Survivor. It was later made into a movie. Uh, It was about Operation Red Wing. It was in Afghanistan. A lot of that's been mentioned already. It's the best book I've ever read in my entire life. Uh, the, The name speaks for itself in Lone Survivor. It was about four Navy SEALs that went on a top secret mission. And unfortunately, three of them were killed, including Mr. Mike Murphy. But it's the way in which Mike Murphy uh, was killed, uh, his brave heroism that just speaks volumes to the courage that uh, he and his other teammates that day, uh, you know, the way in which they carried themselves that day, there's just tremendous uh, thing to speak of. And I want to talk about some of the specifics about that mission, and then we'll talk about what uh, what happened uh, with Mr. Murphy on that uh, that terrible day? Uh, Operation Red Wing was a counterinsurgent mission in Kunar Province, Afghanistan, involving four members of the Navy SEALs. Murphy and two other SEALs, Danny Dietz and Matthew Axelson, were killed in the fighting, in addition to 16 Special Operations soldiers who were killed when their helicopter was shot down while trying to extract the SEAL team. Prior to a helicopter being shot down in 2011, it was both the largest loss of life for U.S. forces since the evasion began and the largest loss of SEALs since the Vietnam War. Marcus Luttrell was the only surviving U.S. sailor from the squad. He was protected by local villagers who sent an emissary to the closest military base, allowing a rescue team to locate him. So Marcus Luttrell was the former Navy SEAL. Uh, he is he was the lone survivor of this mission. He has told this story many times. It's been made into a movie by Peter Berg. Uh, just a tremendous story. Has so many elements to it that I think anybody can relate to. Uh, just an incredible story. And I'll continue here. Uh, Mike Murphy was the commander of a four-team reconnaissance team. Four-man reconnaissance team, excuse me. They were on a mission to kill or capture a top Taliban leader, Ahmed San, codename Ben Sharmak who commanded a group of insurgents known as the Mountain Tigers. The team was dropped off by helicopter in a remote mountainous area east of Asadabad in Kunar province near the Pakistan border. After initially successful infiltration, local goat herders stumbled upon the SEAL's hiding place. Unable to verify any hostile intent from the herders, the team cut them loose. Hostile locals, possibly the goat herders they let pass, alerted nearby Taliban forces who surrounded and attacked the small group. The These goat herders that just stumbled upon these guys in their mission as they were kind of checking out a village, uh, the, the Navy SEALs, they didn't know what to do. They, they, they didn't want to kill these goat herders. They just seemed like innocent civilians, but they knew if they let them go that they would probably go into the village and let the Taliban know that, hey, not only is there some... Uh, American military personnel up there, but there's only four of them. So that's what happened. The SEALs tried to extract and get out of there knowing that they were compromised. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Taliban surrounded and attacked uh, the four Navy SEALs. Uh, they were completely outnumbered. Hundreds, hundreds of Taliban soldiers 
to four. A very mountainous region, very tough to fight on. Uh, the Taliban kind of knew the lay of the land a little bit better, and the SEALs really had a tough time with uh, the fighting, but they fought like brave, courageous heroes. And uh, you know what? Mr. Murphy was uh, the leader of those of those young men, and we'll continue here with uh, the story of Mike Murphy. After Mike Murphy called for help, uh, an MH-47 Chinook helicopter loaded with reinforcements was dispatched to, to as the rescue team, but it was shot down by an RPG, killing all 16 personnel on board, eight SEALs, and eight service members from the 160th SOAR. Murphy, Dietz, Axelson were killed in the action. Marcus Luttrell was the only U.S. survivor and was eventually rescued after several days of wandering in the mountains and being protected by the people of the Afghan village. All three of Murphy's men were awarded the Navy's second highest honor, the Navy Cross, for their part in the battle, making theirs the most decorated Navy SEAL team in history. Mike Murphy was killed on June 28, 2005, after he left his cover position and went to a clearing away from the mountains, exposing himself to a hail of gunfire in order to get a clear signal to contact her headquarters for relaying the dire situation and rescuing immediate, requesting immediate support for his team. He dropped the satellite phone after being shot multiple times, but picked the phone back up and finished the call. While being shot, he signed off saying, thank you, then continued fighting from his exposed position until he died. From his wounds. On July 4th, 2005, Murphy's remains were found by a group of American soldiers during a combat search and a rescue operation and returned to the United States. Nine days later, on July 13th, Mike Murphy was buried with full military honors at Calverton National Cemetery. Mr. Mike Murphy, you are a true hero. Many of the country knows of your heroism. You, what you did that day on Operation Red Wing as you guys were surrounded and uh, overrun by Taliban. Um, the book goes into this significantly. The the moment this all happened, they, they really paint a clear picture for you. The movie's pretty good too, but uh, this is one of the first moments in my life where the book was better than the movie, or so I thought. Um, book The movie's incredible as well, but uh, Mike Murphy... They're behind rocks. They're taking fire. They're doing everything they can. The satellite radio, the satellite phone is just not working. He had to crawl out to a clearing um, where he was clearly exposed, was shot multiple times, but it was the only option to call for help. And uh, in doing so, uh, he was killed. And just one of the bravest acts I've ever heard of. I continue to say that every time we, we discuss one of these Medal of Honor winners, we continue to kind of have Medal of Honor winners as our topic of, of people we talk about on our segment on Friday, suds with studs. But you know what? It's just hard not to when you hear stories like this about just incredible, incredible people that in that moment he knew he was going to die and he went to do the best thing he could for his men. And unfortunately, him and two others died on that mission. There was one survivor, one lone survivor. And if you have not read the book, uh, please go check it out. Uh, the movie's pretty good too. Marcus Luttrell uh, goes around now and is a speaker. Uh, he is a uh, former Navy SEAL, no longer involved, but uh, he he has tremendous words to honor his friend and his uh, brothers that fought, and uh, all three of them died that day. But Mike Murphy, in doing those, those acts and really trying to 
request help for uh, his teammates is just something that is so inspiring and something that you just can't wrap your head around of, of how courageous some people could be. So Mike Murphy, you are a true hero. You are someone I would love to have a beer with, uh, sit down, and it would be a tremendous honor, sir. So I just want to commend you and applaud you and salute you today on this uh, episode, this segment on it, that we've done on Fridays, Suds with Studs. I do want to mention one other thing about Mike Murphy, and that is that there's a an annual challenge, usually around Memorial Day, called the Murph. And uh, basically, the, the, the Murphy, uh, it's an exercise. It's a, uh, it's a challenge, really, a physical challenge, kind of like a CrossFit type thing, uh, based on a workout that Mike Murphy created in Afghanistan uh, called Body Armor. The Murph Challenge was established to honor his memory. It includes a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and a second to one-mile run, all while wearing a 20-pound armored vest. So a lot of people do that challenge on Memorial Day to raise money for different causes and to honor the memory of Mr. Mike Murphy. I don't know that I could do all those things in one day, in my present condition anyway, let alone with a 20-pound armored vest on. But uh, should any of you fitness guys out there, people who are in great shape, want to do something, want to do a crazy workout, that honors the memory of a true hero. Check it out, the Murph Challenge. Uh, it was established to honor his memory, and I can't think of a better way to exercise. Uh, you know, if you got to get out there and do something physical. So, uh, Mike Murphy, you are a hero. You are our uh, most recent topic of conversation here on our Friday segment. Suds with studs. Cheers to you, sir, and your family. Uh, my best to those uh, who continue to honor your memory for your brave actions that terrible day in Afghanistan in 2005. Cheers to you, sir. Now, guys, we will get back to our program uh, with some more fun on our crazy, weird, backwards, uh, very different Friday episode of Get Home Safe. So today's guest is a world traveler. It's been to Europe, been all around the country in minor league baseball, and a proud alum of Rio Hondo Prep, where our paths cross. Matt Hersimo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. I'm a very big fan of the program. Uh, just uh, a blast to be here. Uh, you know what? I, I can't say it enough. <laughs> and uh, just in case uh, you out there don't recognize my voice i am the guest host today todd carson you know i was listening to your show. i've been listening to all your shows really except uh i think uh i need to catch up from from tuesday but pretty much every show and uh, i was telling my wife about it and uh it's like man that's a really good way to learn about people and we thought you know, someone ought to interview Matt because um, he's getting the, the the down low on everybody else, but uh, he's an interesting guy, and, and we want to know about him. So, yeah, I threw that out there to you, and um, that's why we're doing what we're doing today. So, um, anyways, let's get started, huh? <laughs> Sounds good, Todd, and I got to say it's, uh, you know, after driving the ship now for a few months and having total control at the wheel – uh, yeah, it's a little different being on the other side of things and just, I don't know what to expect necessarily. And, uh, Hey, I give you the keys to the Mercedes man. Have at it. All right. Well, uh, here I go. And, uh, if you get a lot of, uh, fan mail for me to 
take over. I'll, I think I'll, I'll take, take, uh, take the reins. Anyway, so Matt, um, first of all, where do I know your dad went to um, high school in Covina at Northview. Um, I don't know where your mom went. Where, where is your family, your mother and father from originally, or even further back other parts of the country, maybe your grandparents, where, where does all that originate? Well, uh, Northview High School is actually a really big part of uh, my family. Uh, my my dad and uh, his brother went there. Um, my mom actually also went there. Her her family, uh, all my my aunts, uh, kids, so my cousins, uh, or I should say, most of them went there. All but one. Uh, so Northview High School kind of goes way back for us. My dad was uh, born and raised in Covina, not too far from Northview, uh, but my mom was actually born in New York. She was born in Flushing, which is in uh, Queens. Uh, when she was, I think, about five years old, maybe six years, somewhere in there, they moved to California. They moved to uh, East Los Angeles. My grandfather had uh, a lot of relatives there in that area, and they lived there for, for quite a while until um, – I think the junior high days really for my mom and they moved to Covina and, uh, you know, went to the same middle school as my dad. Uh, they went to the same high school, as I mentioned at, at Northview and, you know, my parents, uh, I think they knew each other. Uh, they, again, they all ran in the same circles in, in junior high and stuff. Uh, but they never dated until, uh, they were uh, in their late twenties. So, uh, that's kind of the backstory there and kind of where my, my family or, or at least my parents grew up. Wow. Um, was there any pressure ever to go to Northview? You know, uh, not really. We grew up, we grew up in Glendora, um, Baja Glendora, as we like to call it, pretty uh, the southern part. Uh, you know, we could see Covina pretty much across the street. But um, I, I went to football games a lot to Northview football games as a kid. Uh, my cousin Casey uh, was playing there. He was on varsity three years and uh, probably their best player. So we went to a lot of Northview uh, football games. And, and actually, the only CIF title Northview won, I believe it was 1987. That was, I think, the very first football game I ever went to. My parents took me, I believe, if it was 87, I was two years old, uh, almost three. <laughs> and it was at Mount Sac. And I don't remember who they played, but I remember as a little kid looking out and seeing uh, this game of, uh, of football and my parents explaining to me that, yeah, this is our old high school and uh, they're in the CI, the, the CIF finals. And uh, that was the only championship game. I, I believe Northview has won. And I happened to be there as a very young kid. So no, there was no pressure to go to Northview. We obviously had some connections there, but being in Glendora, it was really never a thought. Um, the, the only real uh, choices, I guess, were going to be either Glendora or Charter Oak. And then I, I opted uh, for option number three, of course, which was uh, Rio Hondo Prep, which is uh, a lot further away from home than those places. But uh, definitely uh, the spot that I uh, that was uh, I was intended to go to. Well, you know, that's some great insight right there. I don't know many two or three year olds who could remember anything <laughs> at that age. But uh you know, you're walking encyclopedia, and uh, if there's anyone who can remember it, it's you. Um, so that's uh, that's outstanding. So um, before you started uh, care, or even uh, yeah, before you were in care, um, what was life like? Did you play sports in other leagues? Um, were you into 
playing piano, checkers. Uh, what was life like for Matt Hersema before he started playing ball at Carey's Wig? Wow. Piano and checkers, huh? That's the best you could do. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, you know, Todd, I've, I've always been a guy uh, at a young age who loved playing sports. I was always on the playground, running around, uh, trying to put together, you know, football games or basketball games. Uh, I actually started Glendora South Hills Little League when I was in kindergarten. I played in kindergarten and first grade. Uh, actually, kindergarten was the only, no, was it first grade? It was the only time I went to public school, actually. It was, uh, and, it, and it was all tied in because my parents worked, you know, full time and got home late. And so I was the same age as the babysitter's kid. So we went to the same school together and then got into little league baseball together. So I played two years of that, you know, T-ball, whatever. And uh, then uh, second grade rolled around and I noticed a kid carrying shoulder pads and football equipment at school. I was at Foothill Christian at the time. And I just remember being so intrigued, like football, I want to play football. And, and I didn't know, I knew there was little league baseball. I didn't know there was, you know, Papa Warren and all these other things, but I saw this kid carrying shoulder pads. It was actually a uh, Matt Drost who was uh, my age, but, but he played a year older than me. And uh, so I got a card from him and I took it home to my parents and uh, they, I think they went to a meeting or they did some research and they found out that, that this league uh, was, was great because it was year round sports. And the number one reason I think Todd, that I got involved in care youth league was that uh, they offered transportation. They would come pick you up at school. They'd take you to practice. They'd either take you back to school or they, or they would take you home. And that was huge for my parents because they both worked. They didn't get home till at least six. And so I remember as a young kid, them talking about that and how important that was. And they were just thrilled that there was an organization that uh, would transport their kid around uh, and get them to practices and stuff, because that was a challenge. Even when I was a you know kindergarten or first grader, I remember my grandmother picking me up at times. But anyway, that's kind of the, the, uh, the beginning of, of uh, all the playing in sports and stuff and how I eventually got into care youth league. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, wow. Um, bus rides, you know, that those are so many memories, uh, for kids throughout the day. I remember, I mean, you were talking to Rick and some other guys just mentioned how, um, you know, it, it wasn't just the sports, it was the other things, uh, <laughs> that Youth League offered that really enriched the experience. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, what was it like at the Hersema home with, uh, with you and Sam running around? Well, it depends on the age, I guess, but you know, I was three years older than Sam. And, uh, I think, I think like most older brothers, there was definitely some pushing around of the younger brother. Uh, I always wanted us to go outside and play, you know, play football, tackle football together, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever. And, and, uh, I, you know, he was a lot smaller than me and younger than me. And so I, I tackle him and I made him cry a bunch of times. And my mom was always on me. You, know, you guys, you got to play together. He's your younger brother. You got to teach him. You got to show him. And uh, I was just like, ah, so I, I don't know. I, I may have pushed him away a little bit, uh, as far as him and I running around outside N nowadays, we're, we're super close and he's bigger than me. And he, he'd, uh, he'd knock me around in a heartbeat. I'm sure <laughs> if it came to it, uh, but yeah, the early days, my dad would always just be like, Hey, go outside. And we'd be like, and do what? And he'd just be like, well, figure it out. 
you know, <laughs> go out there. Uh, we, we weren't allowed to like, you know, cross the street or go in the street or anything, but we, we played in the yard. We had a basketball court, of, co- of course, that was a big help. And uh, we just kind of ran around. And as we gradually got older, our, our uh, uh, force field, I guess, got a little wider too, right? The, the border got wider. We could, uh, we could ride our bikes in the neighborhood and stuff like that. But yeah, I seen man, my memories are that Sam used to get hurt a lot. And it was because of me doing something I shouldn't have been doing, <laughs> you know, using him uh, as a guinea pig. Or, you know, stuff like, hey, let's see if you can jump off this uh, <laughs> this height or whatever. Typical boy brother stuff. Yeah, you are describing uh, my day at my house uh, currently. And uh, <laughs> I sure hope my older son doesn't turn out to be uh, a big bully like you. Uh, no, actually, uh, if he turns out like you, I'd be I'd be thrilled. But yeah, I mean, that's just that that big brother thing. Um you hope you hope they understand. They just get used to being uh, on on top of uh, everything and running the show. So um, <laughs> that's a little concern of mine. But hey, uh, you got through it, so I'm hoping my my guy will get through it too. Um, let's see. How about um, the Gondora Gators? Um, so Greg Bollinger, I think, was the area director, and you must have had some uh, really good coaches out there. Um, kind of talk about your coaches um, from when you started as a second or third grader on up to uh, when you went into the, um, the KLA program or the sixth grade program. Well, I started out in second grade and yeah, it was uh, Mr. Greg Bollinger and we had this we had an, a, a huge team. Like it was one of those, we had like 30 guys, it seemed like. And it was like, you, you had to divide the teams up even. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. I just remember playing football. It was so cool. And, and, and he put me back at safety, you know, as they do with a lot of uh, early new kids. And uh, I loved it back there. Cause you see the play happen then just come up and, and stick someone. Right? <laughs> uh, but, but so Mr. Bowling, was a lot of fun. I remember, you know, showing me how to kick a field goal. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It was like, Oh man, this is just like on TV. Like you can, uh, you know, kicking the ball through the uprights, one of my first practices and stuff. But um, one of my first assistant coaches, he was in Rio Hondo prep at the time and it was Wally Ashby. Mm. And that was the first coach uh, I had. He was a young guy. And I just remember looking up to him uh, you know, as a second grader, I'm like, man, you know, Mr. Bollinger was cool too, but having a younger guy who was, uh, you know, in high school and playing ball himself was, was just really cool. I remember we did an outing to, to see Wally play in a football game and to see him in his football uniform. I was just like starstruck, man. I had been to football games before, but to see your coach playing was really something else. Um, yeah. As as we progress, and I think that's what's special about care and real Hondo prep students in general is giving back. It's a full circle, right? You look up to players when you're a kid and then getting to be those players and have those responsibilities as well. Uh, you know, I was only with Mr. Bollinger the one year because he coached the younger kids as we went into third through fifth grade, I had the privilege to play with uh, Mr. Gary Shintaku and uh, just, uh, just an absolute pleasure uh, we had a pretty talented team, but, but a very, like, he made us very smart. Like he knew what he was dealing with. I don't think he could have just done some of the things he did just with any team. I mean, he really, 
uh, educated us and we were running plays that, that other people couldn't run. And then, you know, we were just doing things uh, in practices that I don't think other people were doing. And, you know, Mr. Shintako, I can't say enough about him and, and really think about it, Todd. Like uh, I mean this as a, as a complete compliment. Like I, you just don't see, uh, I think Mr. Shintako was of Japanese descent and you just don't see, uh, you know, many uh, Asians, Asian Americans out there coaching uh, youth sports specifically. I mean, I know he was a tremendous football player himself. So that's not something you see too often, right? It is I don't, I don't know what it is or why it is necessarily, but I remember, uh, I never thought of it at the time, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, Mr. Shintaku, he was, he was such a mentor to me. And uh, he really knew how to uh, you know, explain things, whether it was a club meeting or running a football play or just different things we did. And, and I'll give you a quick story about him. Uh, I was, I did something, I messed up in school or I didn't do an assignment. I was struggling in a subject and my parents, like any good parents, they said, Hey, if you don't get your act together, you know, you're going to miss a game. You're, we're going to, we're going to not let you play. And I remember going to Mr. Shintaku and being like, I think it was, I don't know, fourth grade, whatever it was. And I was like telling him, almost looking for sympathy that, hey, Mr. Taku, you know, my parents saying I got to study more, or, you know, I may have to miss this or that because I'm, you know, they said if I don't get my act together that, you know, they're not going to want me to play and this and that. And he just turned, he, he turned and looked at me and without really hesitation, he said something along the lines of, well, Matt, you know, we don't, we don't want guys on our teams to have bad grades. He says, he says, that's not how we, that's not something that is okay. Like you need to, you need to get your act together basically. And I remember being so young and seeing that and being like, man, I, I was hoping to get like sympathy from this guy. And he just like doubled down. I was like, okay, uh, okay. That it makes sense to me. Like uh, this one of a million stories, but he just had a different approach and, and I just appreciated that about him so much. A um, couple assistant coaches. We had Mr. Rod Heaton was a lot of fun. He was an assistant mm -hmm. with, with Mr. Shintaku. And then, uh, of course, Pete Clark. I, I tease him all the time, you know, about <laughs> he was an Atlantic Pirate. But you know what? For, for one year, he was a, he was a Gator. And uh, that AAA team we had for sure, I think uh, definitely he can look back on as some really fond memories. Wow. That is quite uh... – a list of just great people, great coaches. I mean, yeah, Gary Chintaku, everybody called him Gadget Gary um, <laughs> because of uh, his play calling abilities and, and finding ways to win with maybe a little less talent. He coached my brother for a while when when he was out there as a, a, a bear, Chicago bear uh, back in the day. Um, and, man, uh, Gary Chintaku, yeah, did you ever go – fishing or on a trip or a camp with Gary Shintaka. I mean, he's like the ultimate uh, Mount Care, go camping, <laughs> uh, summer trip. He's the guy you want to have along. Uh, did you ever have any experiences that you uh, remember special in that, in that regard? Well, when him and Mr. Heaton were together, it, I mean, it was something. Oh, we boy. did like these, these overnight trips to like the, uh, drive all night to Mammoth, uh, fish all day or run around doing something and then, you know, come back either the next day or the day after uh, it, we did a little, a little stuff like that. And it was like, he always had, we had our team outings, but one thing he did is he had like these uh, incentive type outings or like, Hey, if you sell like Easter candy, that was not like a big 
thing everyone had to do. Hey, but if you sold Easter candy, uh, you know, then we do a, then the select guys that did it, you guys get to go to Disneyland or something. Like I rem- I remember moments like that. He had all these, these things to motivate, like basically uh, having prizes basically for going the extra mile, you know, get to experience certain things. And, you know, Mr. Heaton was a big, a big fisherman too. And, and I don't want to take away from Mr. Shintaka, but I do get to tell you a quick story about Mr. Heaton. I don't know if he remembers this, but speaking of Disneyland, it was like five of us who got to go to Disneyland because we sold extra candy or something. And I had gone to real, real Hondo pro football games. I was a fourth grader, Todd, a fourth grader. And I remember saying these things, uh, Mr. Heaton, you know, you, you start recruiting kids to real Hondo prep about that age, because that was the age, the, you know, late elementary school. And I wasn't going to the school and some of my teammates were, well, they were asking me, Hey, how come you don't go to real Hondo prep? And Todd, I was not the ladies man, uh, ever in my life. Uh, <laughs> but I remember telling him, well, real Hondo prep, uh, won't let you have a girlfriend. And Mr. Hayden like pulled the car over. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I was, again, a young kid. And I know some people are like, I can't believe that those words were said out of Matt Hersema's mouth of all people, <laughs> but it's true. And he told me, he explained to me, Hey, no, 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 that's not what reels about. They want you to be friends with all the girls, like not. And you know, you just hear certain things as a young kid hearing that, you know, Rio has all these strict rules or standards. And so that just kind of came out of my mouth. And uh, that was the beginning of like educating me like, no, 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 Rio's not about that. It's, it's, there's more about uh, focusing on other things. And it still took me a long time to get to Rio, but I eventually got there in like seventh grade, I believe. But yeah, Mr. Heaton, he had a big influence actually on me uh, beginning the, the process of uh, eventually getting to Rio Hondo prep. Yeah, and what a guy, uh, like you say, a fisherman, but also, uh, man, he, he was a superstar as a football player, and um, taking that passion into coaching and seeing boys uh, become into godly men, that's what he's all about. Um, but, yeah, I remember um, Gary uh, Shintaku, you know, he was in your interview with uh, – Nick Preciado. And it's like, man, I didn't know that story without Mr. Santaka. There's no <laughs> Nick Preciado, you know? Exactly. And, um, that's just kind of the way Gary was just behind the scenes guy, but super generous, super, uh, smart. And, um, you know, uh, the one thing I, I always envied about the Gators, I think this was Mr. Bollinger's thing is you guys had a record book. Um, so if anybody's interested out there in Gatorland, you want to see, you know, what records you have in sports? Mr. Bollinger's got it. I thought that was such a cool thing about the Gators is they had a record book. And, um, you know, to this day, I'm sure that's just the way Mr. Bollinger is. He's so organized and he's got those things. Uh, but just a little thing out there about the Gators. Um, now, you mentioned you you were a big uh, – your parents uh, took you to sports, high school sports, and you started going to real Hondo Prep sports uh talk about some of your heroes wally ashby who became a uh, a high school girls basketball coach at bishop amat um you talked about jason ramos being a hero the other day um who else who else you remember watching and just being um kind of awestruck you know it, it it started when i was a kid you know fifth and sixth grade and then it grew even more as i got into junior high because 
uh, you're on the same campus as these guys and just seeing how them carry themselves. But uh, a few names, I Josh Coulter always stood out to me. Uh, he played quarterback. He eventually I made made the change to fullback, but he was just an incredible athlete. Uh, yeah, Jason Ramos, of course. Uh, you know, interviewed him recently, and uh, just watching him play uh, with the the fierce intensity he had. Um, Jacob Blake was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, just so talented in every sport. Uh, you know, I was a big fan, honestly, of uh, Steve Amon and Arthur Taskison, uh, obviously, because they were Gators and guys I had seen on the fields at Wingate before. Um, Arthur was just he was just a hard nosed football player. He got his uh, whether he was offensive line or running the ball. Uh, he was an incredible linebacker. And then Steve Amon was just a gamer, just guys that uh, played good football. Uh, you knew they were going to be tough. And there's a bunch of guys, you know, I, I could mention and guys that, uh, you know, really, uh, really had an impact. But those are some a few names that stuck out. I remember in my early days, uh, I used to love watching when other teams would punt, punt the ball to Rio because two names came to mind. It was Josh Krieger or BJ Jacobs. They were like these punt returners. It seemed like every time the other team punted, they ran the ball back for a touchdown. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. You know, hearing Mr. Davis's voice, uh, who was the PA at the time, Josh Krieger or BJ Jacobs. Like it was, those are moments that stand out to me so significantly. And there's, there's a 10 other players I could name, of course, but those are a few that really stuck out in my mind. Wow, some some great uh, people and, and great athletes. I mean, I think Jacob Blake was probably the best athlete that ever came through our school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those other guys, yeah, just super tough. I mean, Krieger, uh, Almond, those guys were tough. Um, yeah, so that's that's uh, you know you think about real Honda football. You that, those guys kind of embody what real Honda football is all about. And speaking of tough or or uh, bang for your buck you played for the Panthers if I'm not mistaken in sixth grade under coach Mike Murphy is that correct well there's a little controversy to that but yes I did Todd uh actually okay so not to uh, ruin your question here but <laughs> we were all we were all drafted out of AAA to the sixth grade teams right you had the and, and you were coaching the division at that time, coaching the Eagles and the Jets. And everyone had an AFC team, which was the sixth grade team, and then a, a seventh grade team, which was uh, the NFC team. And, and it was mostly seventh grade with some guys playing up sixth graders. Well, most of my colleagues uh, <laughs> played, were pretty good, talented sixth graders, and they played up on that seventh grade Panthers team. Uh, Nick Fuentes, who I was best friends with growing up, playing on the Gators, uh, and then George Colley, Jan Balon, a lot of other names, uh, they were playing up in uh, on the Panthers. I was on – I hate even saying this, Todd, but I was I played on the Raiders, the worst – oh, man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Raiders. Uh, my dad uh, had a real tough time with that because we were raised <laughs> from a young age to despise the Raiders and having to wear a Raiders hat and Raiders colors. Anyway, played a few, uh, a few games for the Raiders – uh, we were terrible. I mean, we were bad. You guys beat everyone beat us. I got a few concussions that year. I remember clashed with a few teammates. Uh, the Panthers were doing really well. Um, they, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Mr. You know, I had told Mr. Murphy like, Hey, you know, this is a, this is a tough down here just playing. And uh, you know what? He made the switch halfway through the year and brought me up to the Panthers. And you could say, 
oh, Matt, you know, you just, you know, you were complaining about, you know, being on a losing team for the first time in your life. And, and that's partly true because <laughs> I hated losing so much. Uh, but I came up to the Panthers, uh, was just kind of a, you know, role player, not doing a whole lot. But Mr. Murphy was always a guy who had a trick up his sleeve. <laughs> and in the championship game, he, Brandon Good was the best player in the league and he was, the quarterback and he did everything well Mr. Murphy got the idea let's put Hersham at quarterback and throw passes to Brandon Good and we practiced for weeks kind of like uh, coming to practice early behind the scenes and uh, so no one would know kind of what we were going to do in the championship game because uh, again back to Mr. Heaton he he, he coached the uh, the team we played in the championship game I don't know if he knew this was going to happen or not but we uh, we caught him off guard and uh, we, we beat him in the in the championship game and Mr. Murphy uh you know, just just mixing things up like he did. He was a, he was a lot of fun to play for, whether it was the Raiders or the Panthers. Uh, and again, yeah, I got to be on a championship team once again after starting the year on, uh, you know, with a lot of losing. And, uh, you know, hey, it, it goes to show that uh, no matter where you end up, sometimes uh, you always no matter where you start, you always end up where you should be, I guess. And that was nothing to take away from you know, my Raider teammates and stuff. It was just, that's kind of how that season went. So I don't know if everybody knows that story or if any, anyone even cares about that story, but that's how my sixth grade uh, year with Mr. Murphy was. Yeah. And I, I now that you mentioned it, I do remember it. Uh, I remember you moving up and kind of saying uh, a sigh, a sigh of relief actually, because uh, that mean our, meant our, our Jets team uh, could probably get another win because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we struggled. Uh, matter of fact, Matt Jones was on that team. I remember that uh, very clearly. Uh, but yeah, Coach Murphy, um, he taught me. Uh, this is a great story. I have to share. I was on his team. I was on Superior in probably third or fourth grade. And um, we lost a championship game, football. And uh, I was crying. You know, I cried after the game and I, I was just really upset. And uh, he says, Why are you crying? And, uh, no, actually it wasn't after the game, but he came to me the following practice day or whatever. I saw him and he said, why'd you cry after we lost? And I was just kind of ashamed. I said, well, you know, and, uh, he kept pushing me. Why did you cry after we lost? And I said, well, you know, and we just kind of left the conversation there. And then one time after practice, um, he came up and brought me a Coke and I was like, whoa, what's this for? And he's like, well, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't really know, but his his whole thing. My, he's such a passionate person, and and he's such a he he just translated that passion. It's okay to be upset when you lose. This yeah. is important. It's it's a good thing to want to win. It's a good thing um, to pour your heart out um, for your teammates and and to try to do your best. So, um, what a great. You know, again, if anybody had the opportunity to play for Mike Murphy, that was a treat for sure. Um, so the next year, I'm assuming seventh grade, uh, that was RHPJHB time. Uh, am I correct? Yeah, and you know, uh, again, every every question you have uh, has a little backstory to it. So Todd, it was sixth grade. I had still not been in Real Hondo Prep yet. I went through that whole year. All my teammates, all of my guys, I was running in the circles with, they were all at Rio saying, hey, you should come to Rio. You should come to Rio. I, I finally, I was a Foothill Christian still. I was like, you know what? Talk to my parents about it. And they, they finally were like, okay, if you want to do this, we can do it. 
And it was a good thing they did because at the end of our sixth grade year, you guys all went on a summer trip that summer. I did not. I stayed home. Um, and again, that's a whole nother story. I just, I was going to go and just decided not to, because I thought you guys weren't going to go to the hall of fames. And then you ended up did doing the, anyway, uh, <laughs> I stayed home with a few other guys. We got home there. Or you guys got home. There was a big barbecue or something. We thought we were going to have another year of, of seventh grade care youth league. Cause it used to go that long. And at that barbecue, the announcement was made, Hey guys, um, there's not going to be a seventh grade program next year. Um, it's just going to be sixth graders. So for you that have, uh, for you that have uh, been in the program, uh, we appreciate everything. And, 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 and for those of you who are in Rio Hondo prep, you're going to be playing on the school teams. And, and so I remember being like, I was like, wow, I dodged the bullet there because had I waited a little longer, I wouldn't have gone to Rio Hondo prep. I wouldn't have had a seventh grade care youth league team. And uh, I was really glad <laughs> we eventually made the decision to go. And yeah, we went right into uh, seventh grade, seventh grade, uh, Rio Hondo prep. Cool. We got to wear the uniform and, and play seventh grade uh, junior high sports and, and be on a school team. And yes, sir, you're, you, uh, you were the, uh, the coach uh, of us and, and you were just coming from the sixth grade program yourself. Right. So it was the first time for all of us kind of uh, being together. Yeah. So, I did go on that trip and um, they needed somebody to take charge of these wild sixth graders. <laughs> and uh, I was not involved in the play very much. And um, so they gave them to me and then uh, I, I'll be honest, I struggled, but uh, by the end it was just like, man, I'd really like to, to be with these guys uh, at Rio. And, um, but you know, I was, I was, uh, firmly entrenched in the care youth league program as a coach. And so, uh, but when I got back a week or two later, they said, we'd like you to take these guys over. And I was so fired up um, that I got to uh, be with this group and uh, move into the school. Um, I have here a picture of, I think it's seventh grade of you guys in your PE uniforms. And um, so I thought what we do is, I'm going to say a guy and you're going to give me one word or up to one sentence about who this guy was. Are you game? I'm game. Let's do it. All right. So the first guy, Paul Hampton, Paul Hampton, uh, <laughs> white red hair with a, with a white, uh, with a white streak in his hair. Uh, let's say that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, you know what? He, he uh, yeah, he had that, he had that interesting, uh, haircut hair hair coloring uh i think it's all dyed in now or, or whatever but yeah he had that white white piece of hair kind of sticking out that was very unique and uh yeah coral coral cowboys paul hampton their best player yeah loves the game of baseball right <laughs> uh, next is jan balon jan balon uh as big as he is now <laughs> he was he was so big in junior high especially seventh grade i mean i joke with him now when i see him he he's as big now as he was then uh, obviously a lot more uh, bulk bulk on him now but yeah he stopped growing but he was he was i remember thinking jan was just the biggest kid on the world yeah we all hoped he kept growing but uh <laughs> but he he did well for himself I'm, i i remember that okay devin drain uh could not miss he was just a guy, uh, a sharpshooter, man. Uh, I remember being told, oh, that's, uh, that's Devin Drain. That's the head varsity basketball coach's son. Uh, and Mr. Chautauqua always said he, he practices 
all the time on, on the actual size baskets that we play on. And that's why he's so good. He practices. So Devin drain, you, you better, you better guard and better get a hand up. Still true. Still true. <laughs> I played <laughs> a little while ago. Okay. Renzo Roel. Uh, very quiet, very, uh, very humble. I actually uh, messed up his name uh, a couple times uh, in junior high. I kept, I kept confusing him and another student at seventh grade, uh, <laughs> but a uh, quiet guy. Uh, but actually one of my first uh, friends uh, at Rio and a guy that I didn't really know much, uh, didn't know at all because he didn't play in the same level as the rest of us did growing up. I knew everyone else uh, playing against him at one point, but never Renzo until we went to school together. Yeah. Uh, one, a lot of people had trouble with his name. Uh, I think they call him uh, Raul. They just say, Hey, Raul. <laughs> Uh, all right next george collie the bike mechanic the bike mechanic uh george collie uh fiery guy very good uh very tough football player very good baseball player uh one of my memory of george is uh, is him refusing to wear todd one of todd's many great ideas <laughs> as a coach was was uh if you were if you were too cool or, or you swaggered around or, or you did something he had these like really nice pair of sunglasses that you, he made you wear. Uh, and, you know, looking back, it's kind of like a, a unique punishment, I guess. Like oh, I get to wear these cool sunglasses for being too cool. Uh, but George refused to wear them. He refused. He did something he shouldn't have. And you told him, Hey, you got to wear the, the sunglasses cause you're too cool for our team or something. And he refused to wear them. And I think you had to bench him. So that's the memory that sticks out from George Colley. And, you know, uh, I remember that well, and I actually respected him for it. You know, yes, I, yes. I liked, I liked how he said, no, I'm, you know, I want to be a team guy. I, you know, I messed up and I'm not going to wear those. So I actually respected him for that. Um, a fun guy. And, and we'd go on bike trips and if, if anything was wrong, he could fix it, which I, which I loved him for. Yeah. All right. Uh, Joey, Doc Wellman. Um, where do I begin with this guy? Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to know anything about anything, just ask Joe, even if he doesn't, if he does, if he didn't know all the information, he would at least come across like he did. Okay. He would, he would, uh, the ultimate salesman for sure. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think we're all surprised that he didn't become a lawyer because I thought, I thought Joe could, uh, Joe would just argue for the fun of it. I mean, this guy's not blue. The grass is in green. Like, and he would, <laughs> and he would just, uh, he always seemed, uh, uh, not controversial, but just, he'd always seem to be in, in the middle of things, always wanted to argue and to, again, sell you something that uh, couldn't be sold. So yeah, that was Joe. Yeah. And you know, he, he was a good at argument, but I also think he was, he was a wise kid. Uh, I remember <laughs> uh, we had a, a championship basketball game, at uh, Chandler, I think the tournament and, or maybe it wasn't championship, but for some reason he wasn't playing, maybe he was sick or injured or whatever. Uh, but I said, Joe, you go ahead and coach this. And uh, so he coached it, but he didn't, he didn't, uh, I thought he was just going to be like Joe, like saying a bunch of stuff and just, you know, but he, I think did a really good job of just <laughs> saying what needed to be said and not over coaching and not, you know, trying to tell you guys everything, what you should do. All right. Um, <laughs> Jose Lara. Jose Lara. You remember Jose Lara? Oh, they man, you're taking me way back now. Seventh grade. 
Oh, wow. Seventh grade. I just remember he was a fun guy, man. He was, uh, he seemed like he had a lot of energy. I mean, you'd ask him a question and he'd just go off, you know, talking real fast and just be, be all into things, man, that's been a long time. I don't think he came to eighth grade. No. And I was very sad about that because yeah. I, liked, I liked him too. He um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the guys not looking at the camera in this picture is Bill Ritter. Well, Bill, you know, Bill always had ADD and was always, uh, you know, looking around and doing other things. Hard to focus that guy. Uh, Bill and I became, I got to tell you, um, I never thought I would become as close of friends with someone as I was with Bill. Uh, you know, we were enemies growing up and then seventh grade, we really bonded and uh, we became extremely close, close. I would say best friends in high school. And uh, I, I just remember uh, Bill hated football. <laughs> he, he hated football, but uh, you know what? He, he was a good friend. I, I can't tell you how many nights I stayed uh, over at his house. Uh, and he was always willing to help me with, with schoolwork. Uh, he was just a really good guy. One of the hardest workers I've ever known uh, in, in high school, just constant practice. And, uh, and in the seventh grade, I think we were, we were still, we were kind of similar in the fact that we, we hadn't quite uh, uh, matured as quick as some of our peers, uh, but, but we hung in there. Yeah. And uh, you know, he became a really good football player because he, yes. you know, he did it for his buddies. Um, the other thing about Bill is I saw him coaching uh, a few years after um, at Arcadia Youth, I think it was, and I just observed him. He is a really good basketball coach, and uh, I kind of wish he'd pick that up again because he was so good at it. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, next we have Kevin Day. Kevin Day. Uh, well, I remember, I remember our graduation day, and – the principal brought everyone on stage and, and seniors and they had all these special awards to give. And uh, we were all curious what, like we knew Devin was valid. We knew all these different people have won all these different scholarships and Kevin day gets on stage. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was in uh, high school. It was uh, eighth grade. And we're like, what's Kevin, what, what, what award did he get or something? And he gets up there and I think Mrs. Dowd went last and she said, uh, Kevin's mom told us this, but Kevin has never, ever missed an entire day of school. <laughs> and the face he made uh, was hilarious <laughs> uh, up on stage. And we all laughed because we were like, yeah, you know what? Consistent Kevin Day. He's, he's just there every single day. No pun intended. And uh, yeah, that was him. Just kind of always in the, always there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jimmy Moore. James Eldridge Moore the third. Well, uh, again, Jimmy, Jimmy was living in Diamond Bar, and I remember we always joked about he, you know, he had the furthest commute to school. Uh, he loved basketball. He was a really good saxophone player. Uh, Jimmy Moore, yeah, we uh, <laughs> funny guy, a guy we'd love to tease. He would tease us back, especially like with my laugh and stuff. Just a fun guy to be around. Uh, yeah, he he had the furthest commute out of all of us to to get to school, and uh, so we all kind of shared that in common. Although he had to come a little further. Uh, he made uh, the best cricket sounds that I've ever heard. The guy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Um, Next, Alex Orsburn. 
Yulbrenner, Alex Orsburn. Uh, what can you say about Alex? I think he he was a guy. I would say the king of multiply. I mean, every outing, this guy could have been a, a sniper in the military because he would he would hide in the most random places. And it was always anytime we played multiply as kids uh, in junior high, especially like. Uh, you knew he was going to be like one of the last guys found. And he just, uh, man, you couldn't find him. We all wanted, it was our goal to find that guy. Uh, but he was always uh, hiding under something new, someplace new. We're like, where were you? He's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I have to shoot you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I do remember that. Um, yeah, man, that was, you're right, man. He was, he was the absolute <laughs> best. Um, Kenny Dryness. Kenny Drynan, uh loved Kenny. He was uh, Mr. Double Jointed, and we loved seeing him do like weird things with his body, whether it be like popping his uh, <laughs> his uh, figure out of its socket or like grabbing his hands and like throwing them over his shoulders completely. Like he he had these these weird things he could do to his body. And as junior high kids, we're like, oh, that's so awesome! Do it again! Do it again! So just a fun guy, kind of the life of the party, you know. Yeah, he always had a smile on his face. Um, mm -hmm. The next guy, you know, I honestly cannot tell. Maybe you can post this picture and uh, someone could let us know. Um, and then the next guy, he's a blonde kid. I want to say Eric Salamone, but I know that's not right. Um, couldn't have been with us too long. Uh, let's go with uh, Jordan Ross. Jordan Ross, uh, he was always that kid on the on the Cardinals growing up, really small, smaller guy, uh, but I always looked at him as like the leader of the Cardinals. Uh, we get in junior high, and I remember seventh grade football, uh, he's the smallest guy out there, but it was one of the first times I was like, man, because he always played lower than us in, in uh, football, the lower division because of weight limits and everything, and, and he – as a seventh grader, smallest guy out there. And he really stepped up his game to the point of like all of us being like, Oh man, well, if we want to play on this eighth grade team, then we're going to have to uh, step up our game. So Jordan always uh, overachieved, I think in sports, which I always love uh, not to say that he wasn't a great athlete, but uh, all the, he was a lot of fun to play with because he's just a guy you could always count on. And I can even say that uh, nowadays uh, as we're adults. Yeah. You know, my, one of my first memories was a ref in his game, a basketball game, and he did this pass Magic Johnson-like, and I'm like, dude, this guy can play. <laughs> uh, I think I permanently scarred him from ever playing an infield position uh, when I put him at shortstop <laughs> against uh, this, this league we played in when you guys were eighth grade uh, against virtual men. Uh, feel really bad about that. But, you know, I did believe in him. I, I, I knew what kind of athlete he was. I knew what kind of person he was. But uh, that was probably the wrong decision. Well, Todd, I got to say about Jordan, yeah, I think you definitely scarred him for life. I mean, you were looking for someone to play shortstop. Uh, he said, yeah, I'll do it. And, yeah, you – you, you forgot to mention we were seventh graders playing in that eighth grade league uh, and we were playing against men and guys that played baseball year round and poor Jordan. I mean, he has a tough time walking across an infield now these days. Uh, oh, man. He retired completely from the infield and he loved being a center fielder way away from a home plate. Yeah. And he became a really good center fielder. So uh, <laughs> I guess it all worked out. All right. Um, now, this, back to this guy who has got a scratch through his face. You guys didn't have Ryan Hiroto in your class, did you? 
No, no, he was um, okay. much, much younger. Okay. All right. Well, let's go uh, with Anthony Guzman. Goozer, Goozer, man. Uh, what a unique guy that was. I was really fired up about him being a football player with us in high school because I thought he had really improved a lot and was going to be a pretty good addition to our team. He ended up going to another high school, but uh, I specifically remember, as I'm sure most of our guys do, uh, I don't know if it was, yeah, it had to be junior high, him and Nick Fuentes, they wrestled up at the upper camp in the club room or in the uh, bunks in the cabin, they must have wrestled for like at least a straight hour, maybe an hour and a half. It was just this battle that never ended. And uh, he was as tough as nails, man. He was very tough and uh, would fight anybody, which is kind of why I liked him. Yeah. And, you know, he became a CAF champion in wrestling at a rural high school. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Uh, Eddie Gilmore. Eddie Gilmore. Man, I uh, a fierce rival as a, as a kid. He was one of the best players on that those Atlantic Pirate teams. Uh, so fast, such a good football player, a really good basketball player. Uh, he he was fun to play with. Uh, yeah, I know he went on to to another school and all, but I remember him being. Uh, he played the bass drum in the school band, and I would he he got these like these uh, these bass drum mallets that were really nice that I wanted to use. Uh, Cause I was playing in the pep band as like playing the bass drum at games and stuff. And I ended up, I remember renting them from him. I, I'd pay him, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks or something every week just nice. to use, just to use his mallet. Cause they were super nice. And uh, yeah, it was worth the money, but yeah, I remember that about Eddie Gilmore way back when man, good stuff. Yeah. Another, another guy I wish we could have hung on to um, Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes, uh, very talented, always a great teammate of mine in, uh, in elementary school days on the Gators, uh, just a fun guy to be around. Um, it was really cool to see his success, uh, you know, in other sports, uh, in other schools and everything, but this was always a really good athlete and, and matured, uh, physically, uh, pretty early compared to some of the rest of us. Um, that said, we love to tease him and tease each other, uh, quite a bit, <laughs> even in junior high. Yeah, he was another one. Uh, Great athlete, a lefty catcher for us. If anybody could do anything against those uh, West Covina Dukes, it was going to be Nick. And uh, yeah, he, he, uh, we always had this joke. Yeah, you got me, you got me, Nick, right? When you get into the MLB, you got me, right? I'm getting free tickets. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so perhaps if he would have gotten to be 6'3, he would have been there, but I think he stayed 5'9 pretty much his, uh, his whole life. <laughs> Speaking of drummer, uh, Chris Walvoord. Oh, man, what a talented guy, talented drummer. I just remember he was a lot of fun. And speaking of, you know, making fun of Nick, I mean, he, in junior high, he really led the charge, like, as far as teasing Nick, uh, whether it be for his voice or whatever. And and Walvoord, man, Walvoord was cool because he was a drummer. And, you know, we all started to kind of separate into our own little cliques at that time. But he always... Uh, included me like after band practice, he'd be like, Matt, come on. Cause I was uh, eighth grade. I was really getting a lot better at the trumpet and he, he'd call me over. He'd be like, Hey, let's play, come out and play. Come on. And he, and he was just super talented. And, and I played the song um, on the trumpet and we'd rock out after band practice. So just a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely would uh, love to catch up with that guy sometime soon. Yeah. He was a super talented and B such a nice guy, you know, he was so nice. Uh, yeah. Included everybody and everything he could. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Speaking of talent, David Bingochea. 
David Bingochea, Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, uh, for those uh, oh, for, yeah. the, uh, for the ladies out there, uh, charming dude was very very nice. Like still to this day, one of the fastest human beings I've ever seen. And uh, <laughs> I mean, just so fast. My favorite memory of him though is us in eighth grade. We were playing uh, some team in Central California. He was playing left field. He was bored. Oh, yeah board 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 and just started kicking dirt around and he kicked dirt around the entire game and by the time we left uh there was this giant hole in left field and the other team was like hey hey your left fielder dug a hole in left field and todd you're like what are you talking about and sure enough he had dug almost a foxhole out there (laughs) (laughs) yeah locked in let me tell you yeah (laughs) yeah so we got into trouble for that but uh yeah like i said um, man, super entertaining guy. Uh, he was like Jim Carrey and, uh, yeah, like I said, in the, in the other podcast, the fastest white guy I've ever coached, uh, Unbelievable. but just a, lots of fun. You know, someone who's not in this picture and maybe it's because he didn't come until eighth grade, but, uh, Terrell Anthony. Oh man, Terrell, Terrell was intense, man. He was intense. Uh, every, I mean, yeah, he, he, <laughs> So he was stepping a room. He'd start yelling almost like he, he was a fun guy. You always laughed around him. I mean, you always chuckled and he always had a comment. He always had something to say. Uh, just, just uh, full of energy. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. We we're, I think coming back from Sacramento and guys were like, I don't know, give him a hard time. He's like, yeah, don't stop. I'm going to come back and go Columbine on y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the best choice of words. He did say, he did say that. Uh, speaking of Sacramento, uh, identify this quote. Oh, we're back in California. Oh, my Lord. Sherry Carroll. Yes, sir. Uh, we did a, sacra- a trip to Sacramento, uh, over to the Bay Area a little bit, but uh, an eighth grade trip. And on our way home, we're driving past Six Flags Magic Mountain and Sherry Carroll. Uh, uttered those famous words and Mr. Davis about crash the bus, I think, cause he put his head in his hands <laughs> and just started shaking his head. <laughs> oh yeah. The great Dan Davis, uh, UCLA fan. And I remember him and Joey arguing about UCLA and USC and a great line. I'll never forget. Mr. Davis says, Hey Joe, maybe USC will win the NIT and then they can say we're number 65. Yeah. We're number 65. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was so great. Oh, <laughs> okay. That's all in the picture. Is there anybody else I miss? Is there anybody else that you can remember? Maybe popped in eighth grade or uh, anybody you can, um, you know, put I'm, in there. Not, not really. I mean, I think I think you covered covered them all. Uh, yeah, that's uh, let's see. No, I mean that's that's it. That's those are my memories. Even threw a few wild cards at me that I, I had forgotten about. That right, you know, <laughs> good memories, man. All right. Um, so you had a great time in junior high. We we had a great time in junior high, but uh, also had some uh, shall we say challenges, uh, especially when it came to uh, baseball. Um, but you made it through it, and you made it to high school, and uh, you've talked about. Rihanna Prep High School a lot. Kind of describe a, a day in the life of what it was like to be a high school student at Rihanna Prep. 
Uh, well, I lived in Glendora, so you get a little bit of a commute. So I would say on average, we were up about 6.15 if we didn't want to rush. 6.15 or so, 6.30 at the absolute latest. Uh, grabbed everything you needed, a little breakfast. Uh, get out the door by about 7. We drove up the street to uh, this church, which is where the bus picked us up. Uh, picked us up, and we had to, probably three other stops along the way. Um, so about 7.10, 7.15, that would happen. Uh, get to Rio about 7.45, put your stuff in your locker, uh, get to uh, get to the, uh, the flagpole, and we had the, the flag raising. Uh, later in our high school careers, uh, you know, the, the administration had uh, either me or Bill Ritter or James and Memora play the trumpet. Uh, as the flag was raising in front of the whole school, it started just the three of us doing it. And then we started to do individually because we're like, well, we don't always, you know, one at a time, someone else, someone get here five minutes early uh, instead of all three of us. Uh, <laughs> so we play the trumpet, put the instrument away, go to class. Um, you know, first period to get a snack break, a couple more classes, uh, a lunch break, uh, you know, trying, trying to focus on your class studies, but uh, have band practice, you know, after lunch, uh, and then put, uh, go to the locker room and, and change in a, in a locker room that was, uh, probably meant for about, uh, 20 guys and there'd be about 45, 50 guys in there. So, uh, we, we were crammed. Everybody had football equipment, had band, uh, equipment, had at least one book bag. Uh, it just, it was, it was an absolute mess. You learn to uh, grab your stuff and, and move quickly because if you were late to practice, you know, Hey, there was a. It was not good. So get some practice in. Um, this is typically, you know, some days you practice right after school at 2.15 or so, uh, go till 4 or 4.15 uh, and then uh, you know, make the trek home. Or, uh, you know, you'd go coach some kids uh, out on the fields at about 3 o'clock or so and then have practice your or maybe 4 o'clock and then have practice yourself at like 6 o'clock, depending on the uh, the week or the sport. Uh, I remember getting home pretty late because I would usually have uh, three nights a week. I'd have uh, this janitor job where I went and cleaned a dentist office with Bill Ritter or, uh, you know, a finance office on Friday night. So we had a kind of a double header situation. Uh, and, and those places obviously were open late. So we had to uh, go after they were closed. So I would traditionally get home in, if I was honest, an average between seven and eight, uh, maybe later some nights, depending on. Uh, how late we had to work or whatever. And then, uh, you know, sometime in there trying to fit in homework at some point and, uh, <laughs> and then get to bed and do it all again. So that was your typical day. I know game days were very different. I woke up with the mentality of, I, I, I put a, put the countdown on my, on my stopwatch to uh, game time. And I'd just be looking at my watch all day, counting down to uh, kick off. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. When did you, get your homework done that's that's uh you know and and it's it's just kind of the way it is for most people at rio and uh you know there's um you know not a lot of time for much else is there no i think that's one thing is really great at rio it's a good experience you learn to balance so many things you can still be a kid but you know you learn to balance things out and not have uh, maybe some of the distractions that you normally would uh, put those aside if you can and try to focus on, on the tasks at hand. Cause you don't want to get behind. Yeah. And, uh, and then talk about Saturdays or weekends. 
Saturdays, you know, after, while in high school, while in high school, yeah. uh, you know, it was uh, after a late Friday night, get up early, get to Wingate Park and, um, you know, open uh, about 730 or so and set up the fields for the upcoming games at nine o'clock for the kids. Uh, you're chalking the fields, getting them all ready, putting out pylons or whatever. Uh, Arthur Taskison would always complain if I didn't bring donuts. So uh, a couple times I did. He, ne- <laughs> he never did, but he always complained about it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, set up the fields. And then I would usually uh, ref a couple games in the morning and then have my own game to coach in the afternoon. And by, you know, <laughs> by the evening, I was like, man. Yeah, not a lot of time in there to, to watch college football, huh? No, no, it was, it was a dark time. (laughs) And I'll tell you this though, Todd, our senior year, you know, we played 11 man and we didn't have a home field. So a lot of our games were on Saturday, Saturday nights. We only had a couple of home games at like uh, Doherty high school and Monrovia high school, but it just so happened that most of the teams we played uh, were, were in a similar situation. So we played a lot of Saturday evening games, which was a little odd. It kind of threw a monkey in the wrench, but I would say, Man, seven or eight of our of our football games that year were Saturday nights. Yeah, and you're uh, you're pretty famous for doing this, but you just said threw a monkey in the wrench. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, I'm, I'm used to that. Um, but anyways, uh, just you know, the whole uh, I think you you mentioned before, just what makes RHP football special. And I tell you one thing that I remember is that feeling of watching the guys play usually winning the alma mater and knowing mm-hmm. the next morning I was going to try to uh, get a chance to do the exact same thing. And that was such a, a great feeling. It was almost like Christmas every Friday night. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, it was so cool. Like uh, I, and I watched everything they did. I, I, you know, the, the, the way the captains walked out and I remember telling my, Hey, that's going to be us tomorrow when we're, we're the team captains for the game as a kid and everything. So yeah, there's just, it's just incredible. The different connections and the way you see, see the game through, uh, through a kid's eyes. And then when you're a high school kid looking at, uh, you know, looking at the kids, looking up to you, it's just tremendous honor. Yeah. And a guy, uh, you just mentioned a few minutes ago that I forgot it's not in the picture. But what a guy, James Umamora. Ume, yes, sir. We were we were so uh, fired up that we were going to – because I think it was eighth grade. Maybe – yeah, eighth grade. We, we were ex- excited. We were going to get a, a foreign exchange student. And uh, Rio, Rio gets a, a couple for each class, really, it seems. And uh, James Umamora was our first uh, uh, foreign exchange student. He was from Japan. Didn't speak a ton of English. Uh but me and Bill really befriended him and he just turned out to be this incredible musician uh, was, was on the trumpet, but he played the, the sousaphone. He was just super talented and just a really fun guy to be around. Yeah. And uh, I love that guy. I mean, he, like you said, the international kids have a really hard time at, at first for sure, because they come in, they don't speak the language all that well. And then they play this sport of football and um, guys like James Umamora, Baltran, others, Yoshi Nagaoka, I mean, they just, they came in and they just were all in, you know, and mm-hmm. they had the, they had the best experience um, and such a blessing to have that international program uh, down there. And, and James was, uh, man, was, was as big a part of your team as anybody else. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Um, so now correct me if I'm wrong. 
were was your class the class that got to go uh instead of science camp you got to go on a boat do i have that right we so everyone did that rapture boat i guess and it yeah. and when we went to science you did something some kind of science camp every year but our we happened to uh, miss out on astronomy camp uh, because our year was the rapture boat year. So a lot of people did the astronomy camp. Uh, our class never did. So uh, uh, I think we had a great time on that boat. And there were a few other great science camps, like survival camp and stuff like that. But yeah, we missed out on astronomy camp, which I wasn't too, uh, I wasn't too devastated by. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a great, uh, I never was able to do that, but I thought that was a, a great opportunity. Tell me a little bit about what that boat rapture trip was all about as a high school kid it was like it, it felt like i mean it was a small boat but it was felt like you were on your own little cruise like you had your these rooms on this boat it was like four guys to a room bunk beds and everything uh but it was cool it was like going to camp on a boat and the some of the educational stuff we did uh you know whether it be uh you know, dissecting squid or, or, you know, different uh, sea life uh, discussions. And then, you know, we'd be jumping over uh, off the boat into the water. You did kayaking and everything right there from the boat. I mean, it was just really cool. You were off the coast of Catalina and I think you might've even gone on to Catalina a little bit, but anyway, you're on this boat and uh, yeah, it was cool, man. It was just a unique experience where the whole high school yes the whole high school or, or maybe it was upperclassmen i can't remember but it was mo a, a lot of us were were on the boat and it was just very it was a lot of fun it was like this very uh social scene i'll say where we were all on this boat together and uh you know you couldn't help but uh, but interact with everybody yeah um so that was one of many trips and, and camps and outings that you did um i remember when you talked about uh, we we were about to go on. I think we we're in Canada. We we're about to go on a, a ferry to Alaska, and I remember when you started started a war in the campground, uh, doing charges and all that. I think I have a picture of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell me about any other um, outing, uh, trip, camp that uh, has you have special fond memories for. Uh, well, you took us on a few uh, paintball gun outings. Those were a lot of fun. Um, high school, there's nothing quite like survival camp. We did it our senior year. And I remember, uh, you know, not just the guys, but the girls, we all really bonded on that trip because I remember sitting around a campfire just being literally up all night, all of us. We had to, we, we couldn't sleep in the, in the huts we made because uh, <laughs> they weren't very sturdy and it was cold and we just wanted to be by this fire. So we're all sitting there just, it was our senior year and we're just talking about, uh, you know, being seniors, being, being adults soon. And that was a, a tremendous memory for sure. Uh, staying up all night and, you know, you didn't eat food for a day or something. And then we got back to the mess hall and we just, uh, the whole class, we just ate so much food and went up to our bunks and, and passed out. Uh, so that was a great time in high school. Um, it seemed like we were at Catalina Island a lot, a few different times for a couple different camps, uh, a few ball games over there too. Uh, so that island has always had special meaning for me. Like the few times I've gone back since then, I've kind of walked around just being like, man, I was a high school kid running around on this island and we thought we, thought we were kings, man. We thought we, <laughs> it was cool. And uh, what's another fun 
uh, outing or, or memory. Uh, obviously, the, the trips up to Bishop were a lot of fun with Mr. Drain playing basketball up there. Um, there was, uh, you know, one or two times in my high school career where, where I couldn't miss a shot. And that was one of those days in the, the Bishop game up there, the, uh, the finals. And, uh, you know, we, we lost, unfortunately, but just a fun trip because you're with the guys, you're with your buddies, your teammates. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about, really, is not necessarily what you're doing, but who you're doing it with. Yeah. Um, and just a lot of uh, just quality time that yes. uh, that, uh, you know, is, I think is um, enriches so many friendships. Um, before we move on, just um, tell everybody, I know you've tried to express it. Other people try to express it. Why RHP football? Why is that so special to Matt Hersema? Well, uh You know, Todd, I I talked earlier on this about going to games as a young kid. And my dad, my dad never played football, but he taught me from a young age just how special football is and how different it is. And I would go to Northview games. I'd even gone to some Glendora games. Uh, My dad, when I was like seven, eight years old, he took me to Rams games. Uh, Those were special times. But I truly think what RHP offers to a young fan, number one, you could sit real close. Uh, you're seeing guys that coach you as a kid, they're playing um, and you just see, it, it's like this small town feel to it. Really. Uh, I, I love uh, the few times I've gone back to watch games is you see guys from the past. You have this strong alumni following. And as I've been an alumni now longer than I've been, obviously a student or a kid even watching it's a lot of fun to, to go back and see like, Oh, that's uh you know, Todd Carson, he played in the nineties. Oh, Dave Joe's here tonight. Or, you know, Mr. Heaton, he, man, he was a real, he was a real tough football player. You know, you see all these different connections. Uh, I think everybody, when they go to the game, if they're honest, they think back to their days, their time on that field. Um, and, and it's just special to see guys wear the same uniform as you. And you're like, it takes you back to when you were 16, 17 year old, because football specifically, you may, you may play in a softball league or an adult baseball league. Uh, You may play some pickup basketball, but you're never again going to wear a football uniform, specifically a real Hondo football uniform. So to go and see the kids playing these days that that play it, you know, uh, the curriculum they've gone through. It's the same one you did. And I don't think anybody can, if they're honest, I tell people all the time, like, man, when you're in high school, especially your upperclassmen years, those are the best years of your life. You, yeah, in college, you become an adult and you learn a lot more about different things. But man, when you're in high school, there's some pressure to perform. But other than that, it's just like, man, you don't have any bills. You don't have any car payments. You just, you, you don't, you may not have a full-time job or anything. It's just being with your friends, playing with your friends. And I remember putting on that uniform as a 16, 17 year old and looking and seeing people who've come and, and what, who, who've played before me, even years before me. I mean, Dr. Walsh, Mr. Shintaku, all these people. And you see their eyes as they watch you, you see in their eyes that they're watching your every move. And that was something I will always remember about playing real Hondo prep football is that uh, you people are watching your every move, your every action, and it's taking them back to their days. And then obviously now as an, as an alum, I watch 
and, and I, and I do the same thing. I watch what every kid's doing on that sideline, what every player's doing, how they carry themselves. Are they representing um, themselves where, well, are they representing God? Well, you know, are they representing the real Hondo prep culture? Well, so uh, those are some of the few things I think of when I think of real Hondo prep football and, and man, whether, no matter where I'm at Todd on a Friday night during football season, you know, I get that, that Facebook, uh, uh, live stream pops up on my phone and I'm like, yeah, let me check in on the boys, see how they're doing. So that's just me. I know it's not everyone's answer, but real Hondo prep will always be special to me. Uh, and, and one last thing, I mean, I, I told Mark this on the podcast, but I love the LA Rams, but they're never going to love me back. I never played for them. You know what? Uh, I, I love uh, uh, maybe some college football, but, but those players, I don't have a connection, but the fact that I got to play for that uniform and, and you know, I, I have a small part in it, just a very small piece of it, uh, but I carry it with me every single day, and I love seeing kids continue to, to wear the real Honda Prep uniform uh, in the fall. Yeah, and very well put. This, this team coming up this year uh, is going to be your typical real Honda Prep, kind of undersized, tough, um, gritty I can't wait. I really, I really hope we can have that season. They got a couple uh, alumni kids on the team, uh, Jonathan Guerrero, uh, Calvin Johnson. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's going to be a great season. I can't wait. Um, an interesting story. You mentioned Dr. Walsh. We talked about Gary Shintaku, Mike Murphy. Um, they had, uh, I was a kid. Okay. When they played 77, I think it, it, has to be the greatest game, uh, arguably, in Real Honor Prep history where they, where they upset Montclair Prep in, in three overtimes. And um, the interesting thing about it was Montclair, for some reason, they, they had a Toy Cook who was going to be an NFL player eventually, and they were so confident they were, they were going to win the game that they had a professional camera crew film it. And um, I know those guys had gotten together a lot, Jim Hanna, you know, all those guys gotten together to watch that kind of annually for a while. And it was on this real high quality film. Um, but I remember I was actually had uh, something, some sickness, really bad sickness, like a scarlet fever. So I watched the scoreboard from my back porch. I, I did. I was not at the game, regrettably. Um, but uh, yeah, the other thing about real Hunter prep football for me um, being a coach on the squad for a while, it was, it's like you're saying as a community where every single person in the organization was at the game, all chipping in. It was really the only sport we had a pet band. It was, um, you know, all the coaches are together, which I love, you know, when you do basketball, baseball, you split up. Um, so every single high school guy, uh, was out there practicing every single high school coach was out there together. There was just a togetherness in football that wasn't quite replicable in, in the other sports. So that's something else that uh, um, makes football real Honda football special to me as well. Todd, you're getting a little, I heard everything. There's like a, a background sound a little bit. It sounds like a, uh, I don't know, kind of staticky. You're coming in loud and clear, but it sounds like there's something else going on in the background. Might be just my earphones. Bad connection there. Because um, there's nothing else going on. 
Okay. Yeah, room. I don't. I only hear it when you talk. Um, but yeah, I get. I don't know if you're plugged in all the way or uh, or what. You you sound clear. It's not. It's not too bad. We can get through it. But anyway. Okay. Proceed. All right. Um, moving on here. So um, the other thing I'll touch on at uh, Real Hondo Prep is that's where you got your uh, start officiating. And, um, you know, you mentioned Wally Aspie got his start coaching there. And a lot of people get their starts uh, coaching at CARE, but you've actually used your experience uh, officiating. And uh, talk about when you fell in love with becoming an, uh, an official. Well, I mentioned to Mark Carson uh, that he was the coach in the first baseball game I had. And honestly, it was, uh, it was kind of just this, uh, I don't know. It was like a, just a weird happening. Like you started taking us when we were seventh graders to you. I remember Jordan Ross being the first, you took him out to ref a game with you, a KYL game. And I remember being like, Oh, I want to do that. And I, I did a little bit, but baseball, I don't think I did it till baseball and baseball, it was like I was just walking through the park and I happened to be wearing a, a navy blue shirt and shorts, uh, black shorts. I was like, well, I kind of look, look official. Like, I'll go out there and do it. And then I remember doing a couple games. Phil Horton called me one morning, said, hey, Matt, uh, I was like eighth grade. Hey, Matt, you, you do a pretty good job. Can you come umpire this game in an hour? I was like, yeah, sure. And, and I just remember getting out there and I took it serious. This is not a, something I was joking around about. And I just started working games and learning and being like, okay, that wasn't a good idea. Oh, okay. I shouldn't have done that. Like, uh, and, and you're, I was building confidence, not right away, but just slowly, but surely. And, uh, you know, I started to be like, well, someone's got to do this, you know, and how many people are stepping up to do it. Let me do it. Let me take, I'm going to take pride in it. I, I watched, you know, kind of what officials were doing uh, at all times when I was playing because uh, I was very critical of them as well. And I, but I'd watch on TV, college or pro, and I'd, I'd see like, oh man, they wear jackets. Before, the basketball guys, they wear jackets before the game when they walk on the floor. Like, I'm going to do that. And like, uh, whatever it may be, oh, the, you know, they don't throw the ball overhand, the football officials, they throw it underhand. Like, it was just little things I saw that I was like, I, I want to do that. Like, I want to, let me try to uh, contribute that way. And I loved coaching, but there was something about physically being on the field, being a part of something. And I, I got into, you know, I did it all through high school. Again, guys didn't want to do it, you know, especially when we're making like seven bucks a game or whatever. But um, when you get in out of high school and I started coaching and I told myself, I was still refereeing, even did some games with you, I believe. And I had always told myself, you know what? I'm trying this coaching thing out, but if I ever walk away from coaching, I'm going to dive a full head of steam into officiating. I'm going to join high school units in all three sports and I'm going to see what it's about and I'm going to pursue it and see if it's something that uh, is as fun at that level as it is, you know, in youth sports. Cause when you're doing youth sports, you're just by yourself. It's, it's you, <laughs> you against the world. And so anyway, that was kind of the evolution for me is starting and just kind of, I was doing it because no one else wanted to do it or if people would do a game or two and then be like, ah, that's not for me. But I just, I don't know. It was, it was fun to be around the game and it was a way to be involved in more games than just the ones I was coaching. Yeah. And we're going to get to kind of that first uh, real life uh, year of you stepping in and officiating for, for good uh, in a little bit. Um, 
But uh, just that what jumped out to me is, is that you showed that you cared. And um, that's kind of what we want, right? We, we want kids to find something that they love and that they can do well. And when they put care into it, people notice. And so kind of a theme I've heard throughout your show is guys talk about how they moved up in, in life and different things and habits or whatever ingrained. Um, it's just that concept of, you know what, show that you care. And, um, you know, like you said, Phil Horton noticed that. And uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. But before we go uh, full bore into your officiating career, let's talk quickly about um, coaching after high school. Now I did pull up some more pictures. We're not going to go through every single kid, but <laughs> I thought we'd uh, go pick like three per picture. I have, I'll have two pictures here and I want you to give me a number and I'll count down and we'll talk about three individuals in that picture. Are you good? You good to go for that? Just give you a random number that and you're going to, find a guy yeah there's there's uh 28 guys on our football oh team okay. or 29 actually uh i think it was your first year and then uh yeah so go ahead and give me a number between one and 29 uh, uh for the four season. four four one two three four ryan horton rhino ryan horton uh what a sense of humor that guy had uh you know he was running around a football field i, I don't know how much he loves football but uh, i'm thinking football specifically but uh just a, just a fun guy always had a wisecrack i don't know where he gets that from but uh i'm that's <laughs> something to do with uh being a horton uh yeah he he's actually the best base runner um I've ever coached him and maybe Wilk Tirico, uh, but that was best about him. And, and I don't know if you can answer this question, but Nick and the other guys that would always say Rhino eat some hay. What was that about? I have no idea. Do, do those, you know, at that time, it's, you never know what junior high kids are thinking, but I know it started with Rhino and then uh, I don't know how it involved. Hey, Rhino eat some hay. Yeah. I, I remember them saying it and just shaking my head. Like, what are you guys doing? All right. Next time you get one of those guys on, you gotta you gotta clear that up for me, okay? I will. All right. Next number. Uh, six. Six. Go right to. Uh, I think that is Drake Sornoso or Adam Sornoso. Adam Sornoso. Adam or Drake? Oh man, I. I, I think, I think it was, it's. Man, is it Drake? You're right. I don't remember which name. Um, we had both of them, so. Yeah, yeah, we did have both. I'm just trying to sometimes, you know, trying to remember the, the difference in the two. I uh, don't want to misspeak, but uh, just quiet, really quiet. Um, seemed like involved would uh, would be be a, you know, be a team player and, and do things uh, with, with the crew. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of quiet and uh, al not along for the ride, but just he, he was involved in, in his own way. And, uh, yeah, really, really good guy, really good family. Yeah, quiet but competent. Wouldn't yes. you agree? Like, you yeah. could put him anywhere and, and he'd get the job done. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, dependable kind of guy. All right, last one from this picture. Give me another number. Uh, five. Oh, right in the middle. I got to put my glasses on. No. Um, <laughs> I believe that is – Alex Tycho. 
Tycho, man, Alex Tycho, one of my favorite guys uh, that I had an opportunity to, to work and coach with. Uh, I don't know if that guy ever was not smiling. He always seemed uh, – he was just a joy to be around. But a talented guy who, uh, again, great family, great athlete, uh, his, his other brother. But uh, he, was, he was fun. A guy was dependable. If I remember correctly, you know, he played – he got a lot of playing time as a seventh grader with the uh, with the eighth grade team that he was on, and I, I remember being a little. Well, I pushed him a little bit, you know, but I knew he could handle it. I knew he, he could handle playing with uh, bigger, older guys, and I think he really excelled just because he had a real positive attitude in, in everything he did. Yeah, and that Tycho family, they're tough too. He's another tough cookie. Uh, <laughs> he was actually my wife's favorite player. We were dating when. We were coaching him on varsity football, and she watched the uh, championship game up from her house and, and weed online, and she just said, man, that Tyco kid's great. All right, so uh, next picture, kind of next group. Um, so give me a number between 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. All right, number two. One, number, three, two. Three, number two. Number two. Um, Austin Napolitano. Oh my goodness. I love that guy, man. He was so huge in the eighth grade. I was a freshman in college coaching those guys. He was an eighth grader. Uh, he gave me the nickname coach violence. because uh, <laughs> We played basketball, you know, uh, he was bigger than everyone. So they needed someone to go in there and, uh, and scrimmage against him. And yeah, you know how I played Todd. It was a little, little rough at times, but uh, he Perfect. was, he was cool, and you know what? He as the thing is, he didn't realize that he was a big guy, so he couldn't do a lot of the things. He couldn't get away with a lot of the sneaky things I would do on the basketball court because uh, because he was so big. <laughs> but he was a lot of fun. I remember he embraced a, a lot of the things we did. Good football player, basketball player. He loved going the opposite way in baseball, hitting the double double gap because you offered uh, you offered a, a big leaguer combo for guys who would do that. And uh, just a fun guy to be around. Talk about, yeah, he's just your, he was the biggest kid out there. But man, when you think of eighth grade boys, he's kind of who I think of, right? Just, just that mentality of an eighth grade boy. Oh yeah. And like you said, such a worker. He would, uh, he was one of the guys who would come on Sunday to a hitting coach. Uh, and like I said, he was a basketball guy through and through, but he just liked to get better. That yeah. was, uh, that was awesome. Uh, okay. Next number. Oh, um, Three. Three would be Alex McNeese. McNeese. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say gentle giant because that's not, that's, that's not what I mean by that. But, but he, he was a bigger kid. Uh, again, a guy that just always smiled very, very quiet. But one of my uh, most memorable guys coaching because he would do what you said. I mean, he, he was quiet. He, you couldn't get two words out of the guy, but uh, a big kid and a uh, good, good player, really good football player. And he was a guy that did what you said. And he understood, I think, the whole concept of, uh, you know, being a team member and doing your part. And you didn't have to necessarily be vocal to uh, to make an impact. Yeah. And he was a Gator, right? Yes, sir. Yep. OK, so you're hitting the, the back row, of the tall guys. Um uh, What's your next number? Are you going to stay with tall guys or are you going to kind of venture down low there? Oh, man, you put pressure on me. Okay, let's go with uh, 12. So, four, five. Bobby Michael. 
Bobby Michael. There we go. So we got to the bottom row then, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, love Bobby Michael. Great time uh, with him. A, a smaller guy, but a guy that was just uh, – he loved being involved. He loved being uh, – he loved baseball. I remember he was so – protective of his baseball glove. You know, most kids throw their glove on the ground or, or, uh, you know, Hey, yeah, you can use my glove. He loved his baseball glove. He took pride in it. And that was just one of many examples of the type of kid he was really good student. Um, and just a guy that no matter what sport we were playing, he tried so hard. He gave, he was an effort guy, a guy you, you could just appreciate, you knew you were going to get the best effort from him and you wish other kids would put forth the effort like he did. Absolutely. And um, I was surprised, kind of not surprised when he went on to Morovia High and, and started as a, a cornerback there. Uh, kind of like you say, he was undersized, but tough as nails. And, uh, you know, he made it happen. Um, we, he also, his family, great family, by the way. Uh, yes. They take us out on their boat. Did you ever get to do one of those, <laughs> oh, those yeah. things? A couple times, actually. We did it when we were they, – they offered it to us when we were seniors on a ditch day or something. But uh, then, yeah, with an outing or something, I remember I got really sick, and Mr. Michael handed me a Sprite. Uh, he was like, hey, drink this. You'll feel better. And then, and then, you know, within 20 minutes, we were all jumping off the boat, doing flips and everything, including him and Bobby. And just, just a great time, great family, really good people. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen them in a long time, but just a great group of people. Yeah, and uh, of course you had uh, Eddie Garcia on. You know, we could we could do this all day, but let's yeah. move on. Um, I I really remember just admiring your approach when you did start getting into officiating. You would go watch um, crews, you know, and you'd sit in in their pregame and halftime meetings and just just took an approach like again you show them you cared and and it seemed to me you moved up pretty quickly in uh anything you you kind of put your hand to there well todd i think the number one thing with kind of advancing and officiating especially at a young age there were a few factors involved in that Number one, I was I was a younger guy than most officials starting out. You get a lot of youth, uh, younger guys starting in their 20s, but they don't continue with it. I was 23 uh, when I started. So they told us right off the bat, like, if you want to uh, learn and advance and, you know, eventually get more games, you know, you got to go out and watch guys work. You got to learn. And, and I took that, like, when they told me that, they said, yeah, come to games on Friday nights or Thursday nights, varsity games. Uh, we'll let you in the locker room and we'll let you on the sideline and, and watch the game and you can ask questions. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was like, really? You're going to you know, let me on the sideline to, to watch football up close and then hang out with the official? Like, that was like, that was incredible. And, and it was so hands-on. Uh, I don't know if I would have had the same success had I not started football first because football was very welcoming that way. They wanted you to be involved that way. And man, that first year, like I said, it was weird not going to real Hondo games, but I was pursuing something else now. And man, every single Friday night, every Thursday night for that matter, I mean, whatever that is, 10, 11 games uh, plus Thursday, you know, I was, I must've gone to almost 20 football games, just being in the locker room, listening to guys talk, getting on the same page and finding out that, uh, you know, I, I could do this. And I got my second game ever was a varsity game. And it was because I had gone to other games 
and, you know, got my name out there that, Hey, this guy's really hungry to learn. And, uh, I think he, he's, he's ready to, to get out there and, uh, you know, get his feet wet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you took me along to a couple of those. And like you said, I was, uh, the access was great. A, I got to, uh, get, and B, I got to be right there on the sideline, you know? Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, so you, your second game as a football official was a varsity game. Talk, talk about that game. Well, it was really funny because, uh, that Thursday afternoon I got, I uh, you know, it was early September and I got called, uh, through the, through our website. Hey, you got new games. And I worked a, a JV or freshman game at Damien high school. And it was the greatest thing ever. Uh, got to be on a field, got money for it. I then uh, went to Covina District Field that night. And on Thursday nights, you, there weren't as many games, right? Some teams play when they uh, are sharing a field with another team. So typical on Thursdays was was like the top guys got to work. They got an extra game for the week, right? So it was like your top officials. One of the guys working happened to be uh, the assigner. Tracy, who I had actually run into as well uh, when I started going to uh, a church in Glendora, uh, ran into him there as well, uh, you know, small world that it is. And so anyway, I went, I did that freshman game, JV, whatever it was. I went to the game that night to watch the game, uh, the varsity game and watch the crew work. I walked in the door and uh, Tracy said, hey guys, this is Matt Hersema. He's getting his first varsity game tomorrow night. And I was like, wait, what? Wow. Like, Excuse me. <laughs> and this is again, because he had heard that I was, I had been going to watch varsity games for a few weeks now uh, and, and learning from crews and asking, I, I think the right questions uh, sat around, you know, had dinner and, and beers with those guys when they were hanging out uh, a few times and just learning and being a fly on the wall. So he told me that and all the guys were like, Oh, way to go, Matt. And I'm like, wait, what, where's this? I have a game tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, citrus college. And I remember I just chuckled because I was like, man, God works in so such such a funny way sometimes. I was like, my first varsity game, uh, I get to be in my home city, uh, get to be in a place that I had gone to college a few years before. And it was Gary High School against Gladstone High School. Uh, two not very good teams. <laughs> uh, but you know what? My parents came to the game. I was on the, uh, the home sideline. And it's just an experience I'll, I'll never forget going out there and, and working in my home city after, you know, commuting to a, a different city for high school all those years. And, and then uh, being to be in my home city of Glendora and on the Citrus College football field was really a special moment. And then, uh, yeah, and you know, not too long later, I mean, I was I was shocked when I heard, I got the news that you were going to be doing the division one championship game at angel stadium. Um, you had to be one of the younger, youngest guys ever to be doing a division one game. Do you know any stats behind that? How old were you? Uh, how long did it take you to get there? But wow, I was just uh, really blown away that uh, <laughs> my buddy Matt was doing, you know, a televised game, uh, the biggest game of the year. Um, talk, talk to us about that. Uh, well, of all the things I've done in officiating that, that one really stands out and, it, and is up there. Um, it was 2015. It was, uh, St. John Bosco against Corona Centennial number one versus number two, uh, not, not in the division, not in the state, but those were actually national rankings at the time. 
so it was at Angel Stadium or Anaheim's. I'll always call it Anaheim Stadium. But again, it was it was so cool to be on that field um, to work a game there where I grew up watching Rams games. And, and for so many different reasons, this was special. But th- that was 2015. I started officiating football in 2007. I think my first playoff game was in 2009, give or take. Uh, I worked uh, I worked uh, uh, my first final in 2013, which ironically was an eight-man final. So I was kind of like, I don't know, again, God's sense of humor. And, and I, I kind of liked that my first final was an eight-man game, uh, eight-man final, because I got to – I played eight-man football. So it was special in that regard. And then a couple years later – so like my eighth season, I think it was, I, I then am assigned to the biggest game I, uh, I would ever work. And I just remember getting the call and the call doesn't come from your assigner. It comes from the CIF office. And I had worked the semifinals and thought I was done for the year. And uh, I was sitting at a friend's house actually, and I got the call and I looked down and it was from Bob McQueen of the CIF. And I had operated like on the chain crews and stuff for some of the big games uh, the championship games and state finals and stuff. That was always fun. And, and Bob was usually the one who contacted us for that. So that's what I thought the phone call was. And he goes, Hey Matt, uh, are you available Saturday night for um, the uh, division one uh, championship game at angel stadium? I was like, yeah, Bob, absolutely, man. Good to hear from <laughs> you. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking of me. He goes, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we need a line judge. And I paused for a second and I went, Oh, he means work the game like officiate the game. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I picked my jaw off the ground and I was like, I mean, that's the ultimate goal when you're working high school football is to get there and do that. But when I, I just remember like, I think I even said those words, Oh, you mean like be on the crew? Like I, I was even thinking like he meant like as a backup or an alternate. And I was like, he's like, yeah, the game's at eight o'clock on Saturday night. And he started going into details. I was like, yeah, Bob. I, and, and, and then I, I remembered, uh, who was on who the teams were. And I went, Oh my goodness. This is like the pinnacle for me. This is uh, the, the, the quote unquote national championship almost. And I was just completely overwhelmed with emotion. It was on a, a Saturday, Sunday, Saturday or Sunday night. I got the call and now I had a week to think about the game and to, uh, you know, do some extra conditioning and, and try to really, you know, you don't want to mess up. And then you found out who you're working with and, and guys I, you had never really worked with from different crews. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had to tell myself, you know what, you, you, this is just like working a, a, a game in front of no people at Citrus College, uh, your first varsity game. It's just a football game. You got to go do your thing. And uh, uh, that's what happened. And, and I remember it was all a blur. Uh, it was, it was, even though it was a blur, it was a long, long evening. I think the it was still the CIF record for the most combined points in the first half. Uh, Mm. it was, it was, it was was quite a night and just one I will never forget. Just a truly special experience. And one of the, uh, the biggest honors of my officiating career. And what was the reaction of the rest of the crew when they saw you? Were were you a young guy for that call? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I was, uh, let's see, I was third, that would have been 15. So I was 30 years old. Um, and everyone on the crew had worked previous finals. Uh, everyone on the crew had worked, and I worked an eight man final, but you know, that's still kind of like, uh, uh, I knew a couple of the guy, I knew the guy in the middle and I knew the guy across from me. 
I, I knew them, interacted with them. Um, they had worked some college football, so I knew of them. Other than that, I didn't know anyone else. Uh, the White Hat, he was a little, you know, he wanted to kind of control everything. And, you know, we did a lot of talking before the game. And, and when the game started, I, I think, you know, you all size each other up, like you're saying. Uh, and, and when you're that young, I think the, the, the probably the, the question that goes through guys' minds is, well, who does this kid know? You know, type of a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But once we kick the ball off, man, you know, you put all, all the, the politics and stuff aside and it's time to, uh, to work the game. And if you're worried about other guys in the crew and, and you're not doing your job uh, completely, then, you know, the whole crew is going to suffer. So, so, uh, so that was kind of the, the outlook. And I, I didn't really get a whole lot of, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way, Todd. A lot of guys were surprised at how young I actually was when I would tell them. When I was officiating, I don't know if that's because I look older or what the deal is, uh, but a lot of guys were shocked when I told them I was in my 20s when I was refereeing uh, in my 20s. And then that game, I don't think guys realized that I was only 30 years old. So um, that's kind of my take from that is that sometimes you, you carry yourself a certain way um, and, and some people won't necessarily question uh, your age or your maturity or any of that. Right. Yeah. Um so yeah, um, you accomplished that. That was that was the peak there. You also did high school basketball. You did high school baseball. Ended up doing um, professional baseball. Um, you and I kind of joke uh, how you know we never baseball is probably the last sport that we probably thought you'd end up uh, falling <laughs> in love with. Yeah. Um, Talk to us about your evolution of being this huge football guy into making a career out of, of being a baseball guy. Well, you know, if there had been a college or professional football referee uh, academy or school or a system set in place, then I might've pursued it that way. Uh, But baseball, I knew about the minor leagues and I knew that there was umpire schools and you went to these schools, you competed, you got selected and you went, uh, you know, into the minor leagues. And then, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, just, you went, you saw how it went from there. So, you know, my mom had, had passed away in, in 2008 and I talked with my dad. I I had talked with my mom actually prior to that, like, Hey, I'm going to finish college here in a couple months. I'm not sure what to do. I wasn't coaching at Rio anymore and I just started officiating and I heard about, um, you know, this umpire school and it's, and I talked to her, she said to go do it. And I was very skeptical. Well, she passed away this summer after I graduated. I talked with my dad a lot about it and he was like, you know what, you need to go do this. You, you're, you, you're skeptical. Your mom said you should do it, go do it. So I went and not knowing what to expect. And again, this is, I had just finished my first year of officiating all sports football, basketball, baseball, the summer happens. Uh, I started refereeing football again the next year and then January hit. And that's when I went to uh, umpire school. So it all happened pretty fast. Uh, got selected, got picked up, got thrown into the minor leagues and uh, you kind of learned from there. And it, it was, it, it's a love hate relationship for sure. Uh, it, 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 I learned a lot about myself being on the road, being gone for six months at a time and in small towns and this and that. Uh, I still 
I still, as I was talking to my baseball buddies, I would talk about high school football and how much I love doing that and just officiating in general. And they would, some of them would roll their eyes. They're like, man, we're working professional baseball here. And you talk about high school football and like, yeah, I, I guess so. But it was for me more than anything, getting into the minor leagues was an experience to get away, to travel, to learn about myself. And, and you know, I never thought I, I could have officiated at that high level in baseball, uh, you know, seeing a pitch at that level. And, and then, uh, you know, I just never saw that. And it's just funny again, how God works. Sometimes he's got a sense of humor and he puts things in front of us sometimes that we never thought we would do or, uh, you know, a path we would take, but uh, that's just how it was. And I was um, officiating football. I still love football. I, I miss it. Not working it these days, but as I got out of the minor leagues, you know, I, I made the most money umpiring baseball because there's a lot of games and I was working division one college baseball and still in like community college football and uh, uh, division three college football. And, and just like, you know what, college baseball, uh, it, it pays the bills. It, obviously, you make more money at division one football, but climbing that ladder and getting to that that peak is tough and college baseball just kind of happened for me uh, after the minor leagues. And, and so that's how it kind of formed. And I became more of a, I, I, I don't ever want to call myself a baseball guy, but I guess I am. I mean, you called me, you said that years ago that, yeah, you're going to be a baseball guy. And I never believed you. Huh. Well, yeah, because uh, you know, of all the sports uh, you know, I love basketball. I love football. Baseball, you're right. It's it's a love hate. I mean, there's no clock. You could be getting beat by uh, 15 runs in the second inning, and uh, you know, 120 degrees. And man, it's a grind sometimes. Um, but uh, you know, I uh, like you said, there you're you're where you should be. And uh, every time you send me your college baseball schedule, I look for you know, games I can go to San Diego, Santa Barbara, stuff like that. And I'm just so proud um, again, that uh, here's this guy who's, um, he cares. He's at the top. I appreciate it, man. I, I do appreciate it. I think no matter what you're doing, that that's the number one thing, the more you care uh, about something, the more successful you're going to be at it, no matter what it is. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I'd like, to talk a little bit about your relationship with Bill Barnes. Um, I actually <laughs> didn't put this together till recently, but you know, I was, it was a summer. I was looking for some work. I said, Hey, can do you know anybody who can give me some games to uh, officiate umpire? And so you, you sent me Bill Barnes number and uh, he got me some games. I had a lot of fun doing that at some pretty high level ball. Um, and uh, you know, he, I met him because he brought me the check um, <laughs> finally. And uh, I didn't put that together, but anyways, talk to me about um, your relationship with the, the famous Bill Barnes. <laughs> well, uh, Bill was, uh, let's see, 2010. Anyway, he was either finishing up his work as a police officer or he had just recently retired. And I was working a college baseball game. I was still in the minor leagues at the time. And Bill was a Division One college baseball umpire, and we were working this Division Three game at uh, Claremont College, 
uh, again, if, if you work, not all division one guys do that, but some guys just work division one and other guys on off days. Yeah, sure. I'll take a division three game or whatever. So Bill was working this game. Uh, we met, we, we were calling each other, trying to find the locker room and we finally found it. We took the field and I, I, I had the plate and I want to say it was like the second batter of the game, either the first or the second. And Bill, I, there was a check swing and I said the batter swung, the dugout moaned a little bit on the first base dugout and someone I think had a cheap shot at like the far end of the dugout. So I turned over there to kind of address it. And before I could even look over there, Bill came out of his shoes, just screaming and lighting up the dugout because they were, they were doing something cowardly. They were like saying something uh, and trying to hide and Bill just called him out for it and just completely embarrassed the guy or a couple of them and just basically told them, you know, keep your mouth shut. Uh, That's not how things are going to go today. And I could tell he did it as an umpire, but I could tell the way he was doing it was as, you know, with law enforcement experience and as an umpire. And I was just like, in that moment, Bill, I, I've never met you, but I will work with you anywhere. And uh, he came out to a minor league game that summer and we hung out afterwards. And then the, uh, the relationship just grew, uh, grew from there. I mean, the first time I moved out uh, from my, from my dad's place, I moved in with Bill Barnes and he had a condo, he had an extra room and I moved in with him. Uh, you know, he was gracious enough to offer a room to me and that, that was only like six months, but just a great time. We've been colleagues in college baseball. We talk a lot. And when I started the podcast, uh, you know, he had heard a few and he's like, man, you need to spice it up. I said, well, why don't you come on and just speak freely? And uh, from the moment he jumped on, he's quite a character. You, you, you kind of spin him up and let him go. And, uh, you know, I said, Bill, if you're if you're open for it, let's have you on every single week, every Wednesday, middle of the week. He's like, yeah, sure. I got nothing else going on. Why not? I said, cool, man, come on, speak freely and, and we'll see what happens. So that's kind of our relationship. I love working. Uh, ba- he's he's since retired from baseball, but uh, he's just a great guy to talk to and a, and a fun guy to hang out with. Well, yeah, I mean that story of how he had your back. Um, that's the kind of guy you want on your team in the trenches, you know. And, yeah, and yeah. it's it's hard to think of any other way to engender loyalty than uh, than someone coming to your defense like that. And seems you know just so competent. Um, you know, the assigner for our games, you know, that seems like just a thankless headache prone job, but you know, he's just, just good at it because he, he's kind of, um, take the bull by the horns and let's get it done. Um, so yeah, that's cool. That's, that's a great story. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of looking out for his partner, looking out for the, for the young guy. Um, that's, that's super cool. Um, let's see. Um, anything else about officiating that you'd like to talk about? I mean, you've obviously met some incredible people along the way that you've had on the podcast that are really, you know, special people in the sense that uh, they have, they have risen to the top. And uh, um, what other stories about your career as an official can you share um, that kind of bring that to light? You had um, the, guy who did the NC2A final four, you had the announcer for the, the brewers, um, several people like that, that you have crossed paths with. Um, so tell us what, it, what it's been like meeting such high caliber people. 
I, I think it's been such a blessing in the sense that you never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to come across doing this stuff. And that's why it's important to always carry yourself accordingly. It, it always act like somebody's watching and, uh, and, you know, be the best partner you can be the best, uh, be the best friend you can communicator. I, I can't tell you how many, when I left Rio, Todd, uh, RHLA, I, I was definitely scared. I, I wasn't sure. I had been around Rio my whole life and I had no idea who I was going to meet, what I was going to do, uh, you know, where my path was going to wind up. And I dove into the officiating uh, world. I can't tell you how many amazing people I've met. Uh, some people that I just interacted with a little bit once or twice. And then some people that have become just lifelong friends and uh, people I agree with, people I disagree with, you know, it didn't matter. It was just building relationships. And all it would take sometimes is working one game with someone. And then you talk a little bit and all of a sudden, boom, okay, you're friends, you're friends for life. Um, I, I think the number one thing is that um, we, it, what's unique about officiating is that you, you're in a very tough environment. And the only people you have are, are your teammates, your crewmates. And you may go into situations where you've never worked with guys before. And yeah, it's just a high school basketball game. But you and I both know it's never just a high school basketball game. It's it's the NBA finals in someone's mind. So you have to uh, develop trust. You have to develop a certain intensity. Uh, like with Bill, we talked about defending each other. Um, you just, I've, I've learned that in doing that job, you're, you're, you're really depending on other people just as they are depending on you. So I, the, the relationships I've, I've developed, I mean, there's so many to count. I mean, um, I, I can't tell, I mean, as far as officiating goes, when you get your schedule and you see names, okay, I'm working with these guys on this game on these guys on this game, you know, you want to look at those names and you, you want to smile. You don't want to frown. Because uh, you, you, you're like, oh man, this is going to be a long day, or oh man, well, I'm with uh, I'm with Bill. It's going to be a fun day. It's going to be an easy day. Um, so that's what I want for me is when people see my name on the schedule, I want them to smile because number one, we're going to have a good time, we're going to laugh, but we can also uh, we're going to get the job done, and I can be dependent on what I want uh, people to see me as because that's what I want from them. So, okay, are you someone I can depend on? And I think they can. Uh, as far as specific stories, uh, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I mean, there's been plenty of funny moments uh, I've, I've experienced uh, and gone through. Um, I was involved in a baseball forfeit one time in the minor leagues. That made some headlines. Uh, Jody Davis, a uh, former Cubs player, he was a manager for Boise, and he refused to put his team on the field because he didn't think the playing field was um, – was going to was was playable uh, basketball. I've been chased off the floor by by a coach <laughs> who, who didn't like uh, the way we handled something. Uh, football, I've been screamed at, you know, running off the field, and and there's just all kinds of uh, things. I mean, I should really write them down as they come to me, so I don't forget them. Um, but yeah, there's just a bunch of memories, and if if you have anything uh, specific you'd like to ask uh, in that regard, I can answer, but off the top of my head, it's all kind of a blur uh, just in, in all the experiences I've had. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I have no doubt that when people see your name on the schedule, they, they are excited and they smile. Um, and just, you know, like you said, uh, 
your partner is all you got out there. I'll never forget Luther. Um, you know, I, it was probably like our third game of the day. It was hot. This team was getting beat pretty good. And it was last inning. You know, I'll be honest. I was, I was expecting this next batter to strike out. And so I called one that was uh, really <laughs> low, you know, it didn't quite bounce, but it was close to it. I called it a strike and the guy started walking to first because he thought it was ball four. Um, anyways, so after the game, I just commented like, man, I choked that. I, I really blew that. And Lewis was like, did you pop up too? I'm like, huh? Like, did you pop up? I'm like, no, I didn't pop up. He's like, there you go. It's their, it's their fault too. It's not just yours. So um, <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, so um, just kind of wrapping up here, Matt, um, not to get too personal, but uh, you and Val have, have been going together for a while. Um, she seems like a special gal. What's the best thing about, about uh, your girlfriend, Val? Well, Todd, I think we're out of time for today. We got to uh, move on. No, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, all seriousness. Uh, you know, Valerie has been in my life quite a while now. Again, very unexpected situation. Um, I think the number one thing about her is that she appreciates me for me. Um, there's there's a mutual respect at all times. Um, if she does have an issue with me, or, or vice versa, it's handled. Immediately, there's no uh, there's no games played. Um, I think there's just a, a respect level that uh, I never thought I would would find in somebody. Uh, she knows I, I'm a sports lunatic, and uh, you know I I, I like uh, a lot of things that she does not, and, and she likes things that I don't. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think she said it too at the same time that uh, you know we both. Uh, we don't even like saying allow or let because it's like, you know, you don't control me. I don't control you. It, it just, we, we're just there for each other to, to do our own, you know, do our own thing. Uh, we don't have to understand why we like something or she likes something or I like something, but we, we can appreciate each other for who we are. Uh, she does that for me every day. And I'm very thankful for that because I always wondered, I was like, who in the, who is going to, who wants to hang out with, with me? What, what female wants to hang out with me on a daily basis? I just like, <laughs> I, I just couldn't think of anyone uh, wanting to do that. And, and she's just been a blessing. She really has. Yeah. And there's definitely positives to, uh, you know, having a, a relationship later in life. She seems just super mature. And uh, so what, what would you say if just kind of end on a light note here, what would you say is the best date you guys experienced according to her so i asked her that question last night i was like hey i'm uh you know i'm gonna be the guest uh, on a podcast tomorrow i got a i got a question for you uh if this comes up and then sure enough it did so uh i think one of the things we did we did a uh we went to it was right soon after her birthday we went to a florida georgia line uh, country concert in um not san Bernardino. anyway not too far from here and we went and it was just the two of us and we were shocked at how big it was, how big of a deal it was. And then we, we both like music. She's an incredible musician in her own right. And we got decent seats kind of center, not right up close, but, but back a ways. But I just remember the two of us were just singing along the entire time, uh, smiling, laughing. 
And we just kept looking at each other being like, this is, this is awesome. This is way better than I thought it would be. And uh, just an incredible time because uh, we, we both have kind of an odd laugh, <laughs> I'll say. And, and when, when we're both laughing, uh, I'm sure maybe to other people, it, uh, it sounds you know, kind of odd, but the, to me, it's music to our ears, uh, the two of us laughing together. So that was a great experience. I'll tell you this, Todd, this is a date I, I attempted and it didn't go so great. Uh, I, you and I many times had gone down to USC to watch the band play before football games and then, you know, saw them march into the stadium and everything and just be around. So we tried that. We took the train down there one time. I said, you got to see the band up close. And uh, there was a SCUCLA game. So we didn't have tickets. And uh, I just wanted to go down there like you had done before and, and then come back and watch a game on TV. Well, you know me, I hate being late. And uh, we were we were late to everything. But we did march with the band and she was just so impressed with the the atmosphere down there on campus and all the people tailgating and everything and then uh you know we jumped in the train and then tried to get back home in a timely manner and ended, I ended up missing like the first half or something which oh. uh, you know, i was i was mad yeah yeah you know that right but uh, it was fun because i was with her and she got to see i wish she could have seen the band play uh, that was the whole point of going down there. Uh, but uh, I, I took her to a Rams game too. That was a lot of fun. Again, just, just being together is a lot of fun, but that Florida Georgia line concert probably sticks out uh, the most. Cause there was a few other artists we saw there that, that uh, we both liked and just a fun, fun time singing along all night and uh, sharing a lot of laughs. All right. So you gotta, you gotta let me know. Uh, I think I know one Florida Georgia line song. Uh, this is how we rolled. Did they play that that night? Yes, they did. They did play oh. that. Very, very good, Todd. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, and I think food and art sharing those with some somebody close is there's nothing better. I mean, I think some people are nature people, and, and they'd say sharing that with your loved ones. But sharing food, sharing art with your loved one, there's nothing better. Um, <laughs> so. Um, any, uh, any, any time, any bad days not go so well. Bad dates. Uh, well, man, let me stop good... you there. I'm not, I'm not going to ask that question. Let me change it. <laughs> let me change it to this because this will surprise you. And I've felt horrible for, for this for ever since it happened. But, uh, you and I, and a couple other guys were, were down at the Rose parade trying to sell candy. And, uh, there's a window of when it's really good to sell the candy. It's like an hour long. If you get in those stands, you're going to, you're going to sell out like crazy. And, and I was like, okay, we got to get to the grandstands now. Let's go. And a couple of you guys had to go to the bathroom. And so I'm like, okay, go ahead. Just make it quick. And um, you finally got to the, to the bathroom it was a long line i think and so i was getting frustrated and frustrated it's like a coach in a game you're like you got a game plan but these kids don't understand uh, and you're in there a while and then you come out and i was i was ticked and i'm like let's go let's go um but from your perspective what happened oh wow um man you <laughs> <laughs> Todd, this is one of the worst days of my entire life. Uh, <laughs> let's you just say just I, cut it there and, and just leave it there. But uh, uh, yeah, publicly I, I wanted to say I apologize. I was not in my right head. 
<laughs> obviously, it was something that uh, you know I was not seeing in the moment. I don't even watch the Rose Parade on TV these these days. Uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, that was not a fun experience. Uh, yeah, you were in go mode for sure. And uh, hey, that stuff happens, I guess. But uh, yeah, you know, you're you're one of my best friends, Todd. And man, you used to run uh, run us ragged as we were uh, coaches. And I love your enthusiasm. But man, I told the Kevin Scarpio on a podcast. I said, yeah, Todd would, Todd want us to ride to the beach 30 miles on our bikes, play in the ocean, and then go play a baseball doubleheader starting at nine o'clock. <laughs> Sounds about right. It's like, ease up on the schedule, pal. So, oh man, good times though. Yeah. Well, um, just wrapping up here. Do you have, uh, you know, a future for the podcast and talk about maybe a dream job that you have. Um, I know college baseball could be it, um, but you seem to have such a knack uh, for sports knowledge in general and, and speaking on the mic. Uh, speak to that if you can, if there's anything in the future that you're looking forward so we can look forward to uh, what's <laughs> going to happen to Matt Hersma. Well, there's a ton of uncertainty these days with uh all sports, especially college baseball. We had a conference call actually the other night about some potential changes for next year. So as far as college baseball goes, here's where I'm at. Um, and this kind of goes for all sports. I've had a great experience doing it all. Um, I started when I was 23. I've done it, you know, 12, 13, whatever that is. Uh, traveled and done all kinds of stuff. I, I don't want to say that I'm done with it all. Uh, but if I am able to land something else and pursue that, I think I'm at uh, kind of a new chapter in my life being 35 years old. I don't know what's out there, but I'm ready for some changes and I'm definitely uh, investigating and, and, you know, researching some new things to pursue. I think forever I was afraid to pursue some things because it would interfere with officiating, officiating mm -hmm. something you've got to be uh, available for, we'll say. And I just, I never liked not being available and being bogged down by maybe a more steady job, but I'm at a point now where I've had a good run. If it ends here, as far as officiating goes, I'm okay with it. I'm not saying it is, it's over, but I'm ready to kind of move forward if necessary. Um, you know, as far as the podcast, I was literally in the car listening to podcasts and thinking, well, how do you do one of those? Like, what do you need? Cause some of these guys sound like they don't have much. And I just started, you know, talking randomly in my phone for 20 minutes. And I listened to a few recently. I was like, man, I sounded boring. Uh, but it's, it's been something that I have enjoyed thoroughly. Um, it's given me something to do. Uh, it, it's definitely not anything, uh, you know, you're making any money at, uh, at least yet. And so, it's been something to pass the time and a great opportunity. I've fallen in love with it a little bit as far as being able to comment on some things, uh, you know, current events and sports, if we get back to it. So I, I do like it. I think in a, in a perfect world, it would be fun to have a radio show sometime uh, to, to talk sports specifically, uh, you know, and, and to maybe come at it with a different slant. Uh, it, it's been great practice doing this podcast, um, but long-term, I don't know about dream jobs. I think you know, as long as I have time, I'm going to continue to do this. This is kind of something that's been fun. Uh, but if I could somehow tie it all in, uh, 
uh, I would love to do that also. Um, either contribute to officiating still in other ways or maybe get into, I don't know, banking or working for a college university. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm too old to really become uh, join up in law enforcement, uh, but I would love I would love to contribute to law enforcement some way, whether it's civilian work or I don't know. It's like these are just some of the things I've been brainstorming about. Um, I really don't know if anyone listening out there has any suggestions for me, definitely uh, throw them my way. Cause I'm at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm willing and ready to kind of try anything. Um, and again, not necessarily saying goodbye to officiating, but if it comes to that, I'm okay with it. I, I, I have made my peace with it if it comes to that and who knows. So, uh, the future's wide open, man. Yeah. And, uh, like I've always felt that, uh, you know, you have a skill set that is perfect for somebody somewhere out there. And uh, I, I think anything you, you put your mind to um, you're going to do well. And uh, I just, I hope for you that uh, you really, that person or that, that situation uh, happens soon because uh, when it does, I think uh, you're going to be great. And um, yeah. So anyways, um, it's been a great, couple hours here um thank you so much for allowing me to do this and i know i learned some stuff and i hope a lot of people um got to got to learn more about you over this last few hours (laughs) well i appreciate it yeah you know one thing i do not like todd is talking about myself i think you know that about me so uh but it was an opportunity to uh, answer some direct questions and obviously a little bit of fun too, going down memory lane myself and uh, thinking of some people I haven't thought of in a long time. So uh, definitely a blast and a lot of fun being, being in this chair rather than the other chair I'm used to. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what? I just, um, again, thank you and, and keep it up, man, as long as you can, because um, so many of us out here uh, just really enjoy it. I enjoy it no matter who you're interviewing. Um, hearing from and about you. Um, and it's, uh, it's something I wish I could, I could have with all my friends, but, uh, <laughs> practically speaking, um, it's not going to happen. Who knows how long we'll be able to, to listen to, uh, an hour a day when things pick back up, but it's been a great run and, uh, keep it up as long as you can, my friend. Oh, thanks so much, Todd. It's support like that, 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 that keeps me going. So it's been fun. And yeah, thank you for, uh, Thank you for having me on uh, my show. (laughs) All right. Well, why don't you take us home? Okay, guys. Well, no matter what you're doing, whether you're rounding third. See, I can't see. I'm all rattled now because I'm in the wrong chair here. Okay. See, this is. See, you got to practice both sides, offense and defense. That's uh, that's what I've been saying. (laughs) All right, guys. No matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or rounding third base, get home safe. Thank you.